0: Hello and welcome to the point of everything coming up on today's show. Sorka Richardson takes us deep through her second album Smiling Like an Idiot. Dublin producer and DJ Arkit, aka Robbie Kit, talks to us about the Give Us the Night campaign, what they expected ahead of the budget yesterday, and what to look forward to at Haunted Dance Hall, which takes place at the National Concert Hall this weekend. Then Patrick Stefan who we heard talking about his lovely Another Love Song on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. He's back for a full interview after releasing debut album Wayfair over the weekend. And then, finally, at the end of the show, it's new music time. We have three great new tracks from up-and-coming artists that you'll hear in full. Two cork bands in Ebb and Flow and Barefoot Gypsies and Dublin's Banrian. I don't know about you, but I think this has all the makings of a great show. This is Archie by Circa Richardson. singer-songwriter Circa Richardson was on episode 148 of the podcast down a crackly Skype line, if I remember correctly, while on tour in the UK. That was 2019. And now she's just released her brilliant second album, Smiling Like an Idiot, on Faction Records. As I speak, apparently it's sitting pretty near the top of the midweek charts. So maybe you should just go right now and buy a copy. Faction Records.ie, her Bandcamp page. That's where you can get it. Record stores all around the country as well. We can wait. We can wait. You go buy the record. Sorka's on a rock and road trip around the country right now as well, travelling to various spots in her camper van to celebrate the release of Smiling Like an Idiot. She was in Dingle last night in the green room, and she's in Pot Duggan's in Ennis Diamond tonight, Wednesday. I think that's the last one, but she plays Limelight 2 in Belfast on October 19th, and the Olympia in Dublin on October 20th, and then she's going to the UK, Germany and Amsterdam throughout November. I loved Circa's first album, First Prize Bravery. She's just a brilliant, evocative songwriter. Those tracks get to you, they get in deep. And it's a similar story with Smiling Like an Idiot which I think her as one of the best lyricists in the country. And so I wanted to know more about those lyrics. So this chat coming up is basically a track by track of Smiling Like an Idiot. We go in deep, like the interview with Junior Brother about the Great Irish Famine a few weeks back. If you think Circa's new album is good already, just wait until you hear it, explain it. It'll make you think it's even better. It's one of the albums of the year anyway. I think it's safe To say that, let's get into the chat. How was your summer been? Did you have a good summer music wise, personal wise?
1: <laughs> uh, summer was good. Summer was busy though. Which I honestly think it's because I was at so many weddings.
0: Oh right. You're <laughs> at that phase of your life.
1: Yeah. And <laughs> also no one had no one had any weddings for two years, so all of my all of my friends seem to have gotten married this summer. So that was fun. <laughs> Were
0: you playing at any of them? Did any of them? No, like... I
1: made I made a speech at my friend Owen's wedding. That was just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, that which was way everyone was like why oh you're playing a song circa and I was like I wish I was playing a song (laughs) I know how to play a song making a speech is so much harder
0: yeah yeah I haven't had to do it um but yeah kind of weighs on your shoulders I'm guessing
1: oh god (laughs) I mean it just you want to do I feel like you have a very short amount of time to say everything or about uh, Try and wrap
0: up years of friendship in, like, 90 yeah. seconds.
1: I find it quite daunting. I mean, one of those... I think it means a lot to people when you do it, you know. But uh, that was probably the the scariest moment of my summer.
0: The personal <laughs> highlight. What about musically? You you had a good start to summer. You were playing... Uh, you were supporting Mitski.
1: Oh, yeah. Actually, the start of summer was amazing. I went on tour with villagers in Europe. So oh, we class. did, like, I think nine shows. Um in Germany and the Netherlands, which was class. I just adore that Villagers album, and so like, it's always nice to go on tour. But when you're touring with someone who you'd be like, like I think I had tickets for the Villagers gig in Vicar Street, which got cancelled. So then I just got to see it nine times over instead.
0: Was it the full band show? Yeah, as well. Yeah,
1: so good. Um, so we did. Uh, th- that was actually hectic. I did like went straight from that tour to L. A. Like I flew Ooh. from Frankfurt to LA um to do a sh- like what the, uh, like an Irish music showcase thing in in Hollywood. Wow. Um I was in LA for like 72 hours and I was total zombie. Like I didn't know what was going on.
0: Man, living the high life.
1: Oh my god, you should have seen me on by the time I got home, I was like cuz then I didn't then I pl- I went and played a show there and then flew straight from there to London for a show at the Barbican. <laughs> I was, like, I was not okay. <laughs>
0: are you wearing, like, big sunglasses while you're on the plane then? You're like, my eyes are just...
1: <laughs> I could have done with a pair, to be honest with you. Like, uh, and and then I think, was it the next week? I got a text about doing the Irish shows with Mitski. Amazing. So it was a pretty, yeah, sorry, I actually forgot. I forgot about all of that. <laughs> so it was a pretty hectic start to the summer. Um, but, like, those are all things you just can't really say no to, so... Um it was a good way to kick it all off. And then I started putting when did we I start releasing s- May Me- Yeah, it was while I was sorry, the end of that villager store is when the first single from the album came out. So it's been like a combination of those kind of live shows It All Together Now as well, you know, and Electric Picnic, um but also lo- like loads of press stuff. So I feel like I've spent the whole summer talking about myself. <laughs>
0: That's good. That's good. Your experience now for the podcast. Well, talking. we'll see. We'll <laughs> see. <laughs> uh, is supporting nice? Is it kind of like a learning curve for like your own headline shows and like are you talking to the guys who are headlining? Like are you talking to Mitski and Connor and like seeking career advice, writing advice or anything like that? Yeah, I, I honestly
1: business? I love actually love supporting because you the pressure is not on you. I'm not worried about, like, how many tickets have we sold and who's going to write a review of this. Like, all of those things that you have to kind of consider a little bit when it's your own show, they don't matter. You're also playing to loads of people who don't know you, hopefully. So it's a chance to, like, I don't know, pick up a few new fans along the way. And then also, hopefully, you're playing for someone whose show you'd be going to anyway. Yeah, yeah. Like Connor was so sound on that tour. Everyone who I've toured with has always been really nice. Miski also so lovely. Um, it's I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of cool to see bands who are bigger than you do it. See the way that they do it, and kind of I I always come away from it being like learning a lot, in terms of even like how they. I don't know, how kind of professional they are or like chilled out they are or like it's just good to see other people do it and do it at such a level just I don't even know if that makes sense it's just it's it's nice to see people who are more successful than you and kind of get a little glimpse into how they sound check and how they sit up and what they do before a show and what they do after a show and it kind of lets me know that certain things are okay to do as well maybe
0: Yeah. And I'm guessing we will try not to use the big C word, but I'm guessing after the past couple of years of having nothing on, being able to like fly to L.A. for 72 hours for a show, fly back to Europe, to London and being all around Europe and playing all the shows all summer. It just must be like such a relief that you're able to be back on the road.
2: Yeah.
1: Like my my headline tour from like which we ended up doing in, in March, I think we rescheduled it seven times. And sometimes it would, like, the restrictions would change four days before the tour was supposed to happen. So, oh God, to not have to be in that, like, to know, to book a tour and know that it will happen is just such a relief.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And was, you played the Academy, didn't you, in
1: March? I played the Academy, yeah.
0: Was that kind of a send-off to the first album that was like, well, that's... That's yeah. first, first prize, prize bravery, done and dusted. That's I think so
1: because like now, obviously, the next shows are in October. There's Belfast and the Olympia in October, and by the time we play those, the new album will be out. So that means that like you need to rejig the set list. So songs from the first album will definitely fall off. Um, so I think when we did that that tour, like the the academy was, I was like, this is the last time that we'll do this. Some of these songs we probably won't play live again now for a while.
0: And do you know when you're playing them, like I have moved on from this, you're you're like that can go, that can go. Your cut, your cut.
1: Kind a little bit.
0: Yeah, you don't feel sentiment as sentimental maybe as as you might have done about them. You're you're like ruthless. <laughs> you got to be ruthless towards these, your I babies.
1: Think, I think. Uh, I don't know. So like some some of them. Some of them I, I've actually grown to love more because of how we play them live. They change a little bit, and like I like them more now than maybe when I recorded them. But there's others that I don't know. Sometimes they're in the set because I know that people like them, or like you sort of feel like that you have to put them in the set, and then but they don't always. Sometimes in the middle of playing them, I'm like hmm I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know about this one uh so it's what co- was i thinking yeah it's kind of it's a bit of a it's a combination of both i think yeah. but but honestly all of this all of, like we probably have maybe about five songs off the new album that we've started playing live and they all feel really good like i think the new album is lends itself to a live setting very well they're quite like maybe a bit more high energy and a bit more textured and i don't know they're just they're they're, just, they're more kind of expansive in in their sound as well i've also made the band bigger so we were a five-piece band now and we used to be a four-piece Ooh. so we have an extra guitar player
0: do you want to go through who's in the band
1: well my band we have on drums Keen hanley all the way from galway uh theo byrne plays keys um joe furlong He plays bass. I think he
0: plays like with all of my favourite Irish bands at the moment.
1: Yeah, I mean, to be fair, they're all like very busy and in high demand. Um, And then Jake Curran is our new recruit on guitar.
0: I think I saw him playing with Niamh Regan in the summer. Yes, he
1: plays with Niamh Regan. He also plays with Moncrief. He also plays with Niall Horan. Oh, Um, yes,
0: yes, I heard that, yeah. Moncriefy might be the new Nile Horn. Yeah, I don't know. It sounded like he was really great at Electric Picnic.
1: But yeah, no, we, I had Jake play on the album, and then he came in for a day and kind of, like there's loads of the like kind of slide guitar stuff and that he he did all of that. And as soon as he did that, I was like, mm, I think I oh, need you that. now. <laughs> you need to be a permanent fixture. Yeah. So
0: great. Well, before we talk in depth about uh, smiling like an idiot. Uh, talk to me, kind of about what the album is about. If the first album is kind of a coming of age type album, what what do you see the new one as?
1: um The new one, I think, like the the first album, to me feels sort of like a kind of collage and kaleidoscope of a lot of different people and places in my life when I was leaving New York, really. So it was kind of my attempt to kind of capture all of that and get it all down and just kind of preserve it in a way or something. This one is much more focused and sort of streamlined in terms of it's mostly about one relationship and that sort of happened in conjunction with me moving back home to Ireland, I think. So it kind of tracks those two things side by side. Um, I think it's maybe a bit more... I feel like the stakes in this one are higher. (laughs) Uh, For me, like I think there's the things that I'm talking about are like in some of the songs, certainly uh, like they're a little bit more melodramatic. Like it's like, like good intentions. There's like a line about like telling someone you love them for the first time. Do you know what I mean? Or like um, these sort of moments in a relationship or in your life where you feel like everything hangs in the balance. And I feel like, At least when I was writing this album, I was writing about those moments kind of occurring over and over again. Um, I think maybe musically as well, there's there's more tension. It's a bit more heightened. Like the first album is kind of like a bit like a a sunny day or something. A sunny day (laughs) in your friend's back garden, whereas this is like, you know... 2am and you're not sure if you should stay out or if you're going to go home with someone or you know it's you're, you're, my brain is moving a lot more quickly on this one I think
0: yeah you've got that song on the first album uh, about like a sunny day and uh, let's go back to this day in July <laughs> high in the garden yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean that's what you're talking about it's like a ah, sunny
1: day yeah I think the, the first album there's a lot more of like oh I had a lovely time let me like write this down and we'll remember it forever whereas like this album is more like what if, you know, what if this thing doesn't go my way and you never talk to me again and my life will be over? Like, I think it's... it's,
0: Wow, that is melodramatic.
1: Yeah, I know, I know. I think, think at least to me anyway, it feels, the moments that I'm singing about feel more significant.
0: Great. Um, How long have you been living uh back in ireland from new york and are you tired of being referred to like as <laughs> you know like oh she grew up in new york
1: um i moved back in the summer of 2017 so what, that's like five years ago now yeah five years wow but i spent the first year i was home like i really i found it so hard to um to settle honestly so i kept just i kept just going back to america <laughs> i was like my, my friend was there and she had a spare room in her in her house so I just went back over and lived with her for like six weeks or something I don't want to leave yeah I because I, I, I moved home from New York and I moved in back into my parents house into my old bedroom and like my parents are super sound and we got on really well but like that's a bit of a fall from grace you know to be have a very independent life in New York and then be back in your childhood bedroom and loads of my friends like, I was in New York for eight years, so by the time I came home, loads of my friends didn't live here anymore. They'd maybe moved away. Everyone's lives had really moved on, and I didn't... I do not know what my life in Dublin looked like at all, so took me a good year, at least, to to find my feet a bit here, and even want to be here at all.
0: And are you still going back and forth to New York, or are you kind of more settled? No, kind of not way at all. Like, Dublin? I haven't...
1: I went i think i went on for a holiday in like just before the pandemic for like two weeks now and now i love it in dublin like now i I actually love being here it just it took me a while to mm. to get there yeah but yeah
0: um so let's talk about the album when did you start working on it are all of these songs brand new written for the album or have you had um, them in your back pocket for a while
1: all of them are brand new except for purgatory which i had written a version of for the first album and i just couldn't figure it, it just i couldn't make it good enough <laughs> so i kind of parked that one everything else so i think shark eyes i wrote maybe just after first prize bravery came out that was like the first one that i kind of wrote fresh and then everything else like i lived at my my grandparents house um which was empty at the time i lived there for like six months in twenty twenty one and pretty much wrote all of it there. Was the it was that part?
0: the plan when you were moving in? You were like, let's focus on the album, let's get it get it done. Yeah, I mean I had nothing else to do. Yeah. <laughs>
1: do you know what I mean? I wasn't playing any shows. I was doing the odd like live stream here and there, but like my life was pretty small. So um yeah, I mean I just I kinda set up a little studio in the front room and just wrote well, like every day pretty much um and then i did like a few kind of zoom session things which uh were weird um what do you mean like songwriting things yeah or? like sitting on zoom for like six hours with someone you've like someone in paris you know and being like hello my name's circa it's like you know
0: and getting advice and no and
1: r- tr- writing a song together oh, okay because that's the type of thing that you like I would usually do in rooms with people, you know, like maybe go to London for a week and do a week of songwriting sessions with people who like a publisher sets you up with or your manager or whatever. But so then I think like in, over COVID, everyone was like, oh, we don't, we you know, you can do it with anyone in the world, you know, right from mm. your, right from home. Uh, but over Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> on, like there, I think there were two two songs on the album which were born out of those sessions but like I didn't really enjoy it you yeah. know that's I was like a few things came along and there were people who had, who worked on stuff that I thought was really cool or I liked their stuff so I was like oh yeah let's give that a go but I wouldn't be rushing back to do that you know so because then always I'd, I don't know it's just it's like I'd all I'd be doing it and like my girlfriend would be in the other room and I like I can't it's so hard to 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 write music when you feel like someone can hear you do it mm. it's so embarrassing i think it honestly it's more like
0: singing the lyrics out loud yeah, or just
1: like fumbling your way through like lyrical ideas or like like that that is a vulnerable process anyway mm. it's almost easier to do it with someone you've just met because and you're both you're both doing it right so you you've both committed to like leave your ego at the door but if there's someone in the next room who's like working away and they can just hear you be like what if it was like uh <laughs> you know that's just so you're self-conscious incredibly self-conscious yeah. yeah
0: and so what comes first when you're kind of talking about this concept of the album. I won't call it a concept album unless you want to call it a concept no, album. No, I don't.
1: I think that would be a stretch.
0: <laughs> um, Like, do you have the idea for the album and then you write the songs about that? Or did the songs come first and then you're like, oh, this is what the theme of the album is?
1: Yeah, for me, it was it definitely the songs come first and then I kind of make sense of it. Um, I just, I can't do it any other way. Like, me and Gemma and Evie were actually talking about this at Electric Picnic the other day. And she was saying that she works the exact opposite like she has a concept and she writes to it um I just don't know how to do that (laughs) Uh, so I kind of have to like write and with no end goal in mind and sort of follow along and see where I end up rather than trying to lead myself in any one direction and that's kind of what this was like I think I I think I'd written enough I I wrote I think as I wrote a lot of songs in a very short amount of time as well like over the course of a couple months that they obviously had this common thread in them um but like i don't know there was i like for a, for a while i was like this album is way too happy it's so it's going to be so annoying for someone to listen to it because you know if if someone else is like you have a friend who's like falling in love and all they want to talk about is their partner and how in love they are and you're just like, okay, I get it. <laughs> I was worried that my album would be like 45 minutes of that, but then it actually it's not that at all. I, I don't think it's that happy at all.
0: <laughs> uh some of the choruses certainly uh don't don't make me think that it's a super <laughs> yeah. happy album. Let's work through the songs. I've picked out lyrics to all of the songs on the new album, so we'll see if we can tell the story of it through uh, the lyrics I've picked out And hopefully I've got the lyrics right yeah. You know when you're listening to a song and you're like You think you've got the right lyrics and then suddenly you realise You don't at all So the first song is called Archie um, You've got a line I've been making posters trying to start a band Is this a very nostalgic song? It sounds like it's you at a very young age
1: Yeah that's a song about You know you and your friends When you're like 15 And you, you're sort of talking about What what you'll do when you grow up and what your lives will look like. You, I think you have all these sort of, like, shared dreams with your friends. Or at least I certainly did. Like, me and my friends used to spend hours being, like, you know, lying outside in the in the garden, like, looking up at the clouds and being like, and then maybe we'll go on a tour and we'll make an album and, you know, all of these type of things. But then you grow up and not everyone actually... You, you, people
0: have moved on to different People move areas. on and no one
1: ever actually makes any like commitments or takes any steps to make those things happen. But it feels really nice to indulge in that daydream. So I think that song for me is sort of about like, like looking back at your life. And I think there's people who make a a, a big dent in your life and who you are and where you end up, but you totally lose touch with them. But just because you lose touch with them doesn't mean that they're any less important to you. So that's a kind of like... Me now looking back at my younger self and trying to reconcile the two.
0: Is Archie your real name?
1: Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, won't,
0: I won't ask. I won't Archie ask.
1: is like, uh I mean, everyone has an Archie. You know what I mean. <laughs> Ar- Archie is a real person, but it's a, it's a, a pseudonym. Is that the right use of the word pseudonym? Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um. So, did you ever wobble, like, in terms of, like, wanting to make it in music? Is it just, like, I mean, I imagine it's just so hard to actually stick to it and, like, make it as a career.
1: Honestly, I feel like I tried to convince myself to do something else. I don't even know why, because my parents are very supportive. I'd never, I I had never met any, like, opposition or any kind of discouragement at all. But I, f- for some reason, I found it, like, kind of embarrassing to say I wanted to be uh a musician you know i don't even i genuinely don't know why but so i used like i, I for a while i for a while i thought about doing journalism like i did english and things like that in college um i worked at like i interned at record li- labels thinking maybe it, but it, i think i always deep down knew that i just wanted to do this more than anything else and every time i try something else i'd be like this is fine <laughs> you know <laughs> but like I don't really care about it I don't know it, it it's it is really hard to to have make have a livable you know
0: yeah a career a yeah.
1: career yeah uh,
0: Shark Eyes is the second song um, two lines I've picked out I call you first prize you can probably tell is that a call back to the first album first prize bravery
1: yes Jake actually said this to me the other day he was like I love how you have these sort of like nods to album one and I was like do I yeah. <laughs> uh yeah I think I I, I, like I said I wrote that very very quickly after the first one came out um so I obviously was still thinking about it (laughs) one of those things I wasn't even like a real I wasn't like trying really hard to get that in there it just I don't know it just came to me and it felt like it fit
0: uh, are you happy with the first album, like, looking back? I know that we talked about it a little bit earlier, but are you pleased with it, like, looking back as, like, first introduction to the world of music for you?
1: Yeah, I, I really am. Like, I'm very proud of it. The thing that I, I sort of... I remembered when we made Album 2 is how hard it is to make an album and how hard it is to make a good one. You know, there's so many points in it where you, where you're not... It it is it doesn't sound the way that you know it should, or you're and you're not sure why, and things just don't sound good enough, and they don't sound right, but you're not quite sure how to get from A to B. And so I think making album two kind of reminded me of what a challenge it is to make an album that you feel good about. So I think I am even more proud of it now that I've done that, gone around you know the the circuit one one more time and yeah. sort of re-traumatized myself
0: (laughs) (laughs) uh there's a line i think it's just before the chorus uh in shark eyes you say everything from here is about to change is that kind of introducing the theme of the album that we're about to get into
1: i think that for me is sort of like i mean yeah it's it's kind of these mo these there's a lot of moments in in this album that reference that very specific thing of like knowing this is sort of like there is a before and after, and this moment is, you know, the line that we're crossing. That's that's kind of what I mean about things hanging in in the balance. I think I've in all of these songs I have a feeling like this is either the start of something or the end of something, but it's not going to be the same beyond this very specific moment. Do you know uh, what uh-oh. I
0: mean? You you know that in the moment.
1: Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes, but it's like That's it's, daunting, it's but but not always. I ju- I just think with this specific, um, like loads of the album is about is about a new relationship and falling in love, but also how scary th- that is and how I think uncertain that can be. Not with every relationship, but but so- sometimes there's like it's it's very confusing and it's not you you second guess everything you do and you. You know, you replay things in your head over and over and over. But I think sometimes you, or at least I know, in a moment like this, is this is things are changing here, or like this, you know, things are different now. Or I know this; it feels like jumping, taking a leap of faith, or like jumping off a cliff. It feel it feels like you can tell in the moment this everything will be different now. Everything from here is about to change. Everything from here is about to change.
0: Uh, spotlight television. The, the lyric of picked out i think it's the chorus i've got these written out and now i'm kind of like you know you know when you're i'm trying to think of like yeah. 11 songs at once i'm like how does this go again uh why we gotta worry about the neighbors baby they don't give a shit about us i got good at faking it but i don't want to get that good i got stage fright coming home because i was way too tired to be myself um is that another specific moment where you're thinking like about the neighbors like can you picture the scene as it's happening now you can imagine the scene in front of you
1: yeah, I remember writing that and being like, I wonder will the neighbors... <laughs> I wonder when my neighbors hear this because I was living at my granny's house when I wrote that song and they have lo- lovely neighbors there. And I was like, are the neighbors going to hear this and be like, oh my God, Circa hates us. That, that's a song that I wrote kind of about navigating navigating, like, the world in a same-sex relationship. You know, and how that, I don't know, how the world sometimes, other people's discomfort makes you make yourself smaller. Do you know what I mean? And so being hyper-conscious of other people's reactions, hyper-conscious of other people's, like, kind of, I don't know,
0: Per- perception per- yeah and... yeah kind
1: of and things like this is the, this is the fir- this is the first time that I've been in a same sex relationship and so it was like a, a lot of that I had never I'd se- I'd seen it before but I had never been the one at it at the heart of it mm. um and so yeah that was me trying to kind of Figure out what, like, how much of your—I don't know—how how how to how how to deal with that. I guess.
0: Yeah, and it's something that hasn't gone away either. Like you know, people's perceptions of same-sex relationships and the the public idea of them. Like we've seen like homophobic attacks. Totally in Dublin, you know, over the summer, and it's just yeah. yeah, it's really awful to see that it's still a thing and. I don't know, hopefully it won't be a thing, but yeah. I don't know.
1: Especially even just, ta- like, <laughs> even on the much more, like, um, the the much smaller side of it as well. is like when people don't, people think of you as one thing and then all of a sudden you are reintroduced to them and they have to kind of change their understanding of you, you mm. know, uh, because you have a girlfriend now. You know, it's like, um, I think it was just so many times where I was like, oh, okay. You know, I I have a decision now in this moment to or do I just like make myself smaller so that I don't make this person uncomfortable in this conversation or and that's I don't know, that's just it's it's a f it's a funny thing that you have to navigate, do you know yeah. what I mean? But yeah. um yeah, that is essentially what that song is about. Although the neighbours who the neighbours but <laughs> my granny's neighbours they're super sound <laughs> yeah. well, we For the record,
0: about, we were talking before we recorded about just uh, when you're a musician, like living in Dublin, living with housemates. You know, you've got to um, be careful how loud you're. you're playing. You do, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Stalemate seems like a very sad song, and that's that's why I was surprised that you say that it's like such an upbeat album because this seems like a pretty self-evident song that I'm guessing might have been hard to write, like hard to put some of those feelings yeah. on record.
1: See, this is one of the last songs that I actually wrote for the album. When, when I thought it was too happy, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I, need, I need to go that's looking for the tension.
0: <laughs> when I thought I was too happy. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, so, so d- I don't know. This is like one of those songs that's kind of... Wait, was there a line in it that you wanted to ask me about? Um, just the line I picked
0: up out was, I don't feel like talking. I leave you spinning in a guessing game and you can work it out for yourself now.
1: Yeah. See, this is a, this is a, also a weird song. To talk. This is the thing. I write these songs and then I forget that, or I, at least I need to force myself to forget that I'll ever have to talk about them. <laughs> because like I put them in a song and it feels like contained and sort of, I don't know, that's an, that's actually a really easy way for me to talk about these things because there's a, one degree of separation. Do you know what I mean? I say it myself in my room when I'm writing it. You listen to it I don't see you listening to it so I can sort of trick myself into thinking no one ever hears it or I've never actually said it you know that kind of way I think this song was just about like sort of uh I don't know like realizing that when you actually let someone into your life that they're gonna they're going to know a lot about you they're actually really going to figure you out and all the you know all of the things that you are all of the parts of yourself that you know, you might need to work on. Well, they'll probably figure out pretty soon. They'll probably, you know, get to know those parts of you too. So I think it's a song about like learning who you are in a relationship or learning. It's it's a re- it's a song of a lot a lot of insecurity, I think. <laughs> but that was one like I wrote it with this this guy called Bastian, who's a songwriter from Copenhagen. We, we wrote it it in, initially over Zoom. But it was like super kind of, it was very different. It was like, lyrically, it was entirely different. It was kind of like, I think we had been like, uh, Saint Sister had just put out karaoke song. And what a great song. What a great song. And I was like, I want to make a song like this. And so I sent that to him. He was like, what do you listen to? And I sent him that one. So it was like really synthy and kind of 80s and nothing like it is now. But it was, like, one of those things, we wrote a song, that was, like, the melody was cool, and it was, had a good vibe to it, but I needed to kind of, like, in order for it to mean anything to me, I needed to go and, like, rewrite it lyrically. I don't think, I couldn't write a song like that with somebody else, I don't think, because I would be too self-conscious, you know?
0: Yeah. Did the lyrics change much from the like, from the first time that you write them, are the lyrics actually changing, whereas the music might change a lot?
1: Honestly, the lyrics... If I write a song with someone else, in like, if it starts that way, then the lyrics always change a lot. If I write it myself, they don't change that much, but it might just take me longer to write it.
0: And are you open to changing them, too, if someone says, oh, these need to change you, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's... totally, because yeah. e-
1: even with Archie, like... um a guy called Alex Kazanoff produced eight of the eleven songs on my album, and I remember like I had most of them fairly well, ri- like fairly close to done. But I sent them all to him, and he's a he's a great songwriter too. And I think like even with Archie, he was like, "Did you write this in a room with loads of people?" And I was like, "Yeah," <laughs> and he was like, "Yeah, I can tell," you know. Wow. How? he was just like, it's not anchored to anybody's point of view. Like, it's, it feels like I'm a bit confused about, like, so so I, I went back and I rewrote it. Not loads, just a little bit. He was like, I think just, can you just anchor it in your own experience a little bit more, you know, so that the perspective is, is clear and, you know, and, and honestly, I wasn't that keen on that song until I did, not that I wasn't keen on it, I thought it was I liked it but I wasn't like I didn't feel that emotionally attached to it at all I I actually wasn't going to put it on the album until we kind of sat down and reworked it like that and because I guess it was just felt a bit like a song a like a cool song you know but if you only have a certain amount of space on an album and you're going to probably sing it over and over and over <laughs> again for a few years like I need to feel like it it means something to me so yeah, I'm definitely open to to changing, but then sometimes people are like, "You need to change that," and I'm like, "No." <laughs> <laughs> no, you need to change. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, Courtney Barnett is the influence that came to mind while I was listening to Stalemate. Is she a big influence?
1: Yeah, I think she's class.
0: I think she's underrated too. I feel. I like... think
1: she's really underrated, but also, like, I feel like when she first came out, she was huge. Mm. I actually love her second album. I think the second album is so good. Uh how tell me how you really feel. That's what it's called, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I I think she's brilliant and so funny and it's so hard to be funny in songs.
0: Yeah. That first album particularly is very funny. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um so she's an influence.
1: Yes. She is. Like
0: She's a killer guitarist. As well. She's, She's unreal. So Have you seen yeah. them live? I actually haven't. Man, unbelievable live show. I saw them playing in the Olympia, I think, around, oof, I don't know, December, a couple of years ago. And I thought that they were unbelievable.
1: Her, The Glastonbury coverage of her oh, set man. was unreal. Yeah. And there's only three of them as well, isn't there?
0: Uh, yeah, three. I don't know if they added a fourth person, but yeah, I love a three-piece band. I know. As well. There's something just <laughs> really, really cool about I it. I know. Um, Purgatory is the next song on the album that I wanted to talk about Because we're working through it track by track (laughs) Don't you know uh, that we could be so unhappy here That's um, the chorus And it's about something that's really sad It's about kind of the breakup of a relationship And I mean like how do you go about writing something like that You know like a a chorus to sing along with That's something that's about something you know. really sad yeah.
1: <laughs> I think like my sometimes my favorite type of music is like really sad songs that are kind of dressed up that that are sad songs that are not like acoustic piano ballads you know what I mean I think there's something so cathartic about like taking something really sad and making it uh, like something you can play live and it'll feel very triumphant I feel like this song did start I did I did start out writing this on the piano though so maybe that's why it started there.
0: Cause the next song is um 5D5 it's a you and an acoustic song. It's one of a couple of acoustic uh songs that are on maybe the second half of the album i would i would have thought that that's where you start your songs rather than the piano do you kind of alternate between them yeah i
1: kind of like i'm i'm a better guitar player than i am a piano player so sometimes i actually like writing on instruments that i'm not that good on <laughs> because like i can't overthink it it's a little more impulsive um and also as well sometimes i'll start a song on the guitar and i get stuck and then i move it to the piano and then I keep bouncing back and forth between the two. Um it just I don't know, it it like it just breathes a bit of fresh blood into it or something if I do that.
0: Yeah. And line on five to five, Dublin City shutting down. Uh is this one of the themes of the album as well? You kind of like thinking about Dublin and your place in it and the state of Dublin?
1: Yeah. I think like there's there's a few songs in the album where like Dublin is a key like a key kind of character Um, this one and probably smiling like an idiot the most Uh, and hard to fake it I think those three Dublin is pretty important to the three of them yeah that song is really just about me not knowing if a particular moment was the start of something or the end of something you know like is is this a relationship starting or is this a relationship ending and I'm not sure what to do if it's it ending <laughs>
0: <laughs> how do you feel about Dublin
1: now like just I mean dare I ask uh, I mean it's it's weird because I I'm one of those people right now who's like I'm I I I love being here I love the people here like I know you recently interviewed Joe my bass player who's just moved to Berlin like my entire band now as of this year, all live abroad,
3: not oh, really all of them wow, Kean
1: and Jake live in London. Joe and Theo live in berlin um and I don't know that that would have happened if it wasn't for the housing situation. I mean, for Theo and Joe, it definitely wouldn't. Do you know what I mean um, I don't know it's 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 kinda of depressing <laughs> yeah. to be honest with you, even um
0: like Saint-S- Saint-Sister had that song uh, Twin Peaks a couple of years ago where they yeah. sing uh, all my friends are in Berlin now. Yeah. So it's been a growing theme, but yeah, it does seem, I don't know, I think it seems way worse now, now than it did like three or four years, pre-pandemic.
1: Yeah, I really think so. I'm, and it's just, I don't know, I feel like I talk to everyone and no one feels like they have any hope about what their future will look like here. Um. Like... Especially for musicians as well. Like sometimes, well, it's not for, honestly for everybody. Like my one of one of my housemates is a primary school teacher, and like we, it's not any different for her. You know what I mean? It's not just people in the music industry. I I don't know. It's like I'm I I I, I always feel like I'm trying to tell, like, remind everyone of what's so great about it, but then, and it just like encourage them to stay. But like, I totally understand why people leave, and I think more and more people are going to leave, and.
0: But you're happy in Dublin. You're not thinking about leaving anytime soon.
1: I'm not thinking about leaving at all. Like I, I would consider leaving Dublin to go somewhere else in Ireland, but I, I really would. I have no desire to leave Ireland at the minute. Maybe also maybe it's because I got so much debt out of my system. <laughs> I've yeah, like yeah. I was gone for so long that I, uh, like.
0: You're telling everybody else to leave, yeah. leave Ireland to <laughs> yeah, love yeah, it more, Yeah, guys. <laughs>
1: yeah maybe.
0: Um, good intentions. Is this the second half of the album? Because if it, you were saying that you think the album is very upbeat. I actually think <laughs> those, that, all of those songs we've talked to talked about, apart from maybe the first song, um, I think they're really kind of downbeat. They and are. The second half of the album is kind of a different change in pace, if this is the start of the second
1: yeah i think i i agree that the way that i actually structure like sequence the album it starts off very actually quite dark and quite sad and um and arrives at a much the the second half of the album is way lighter and much more much happier and i think much more easy perhaps um and good intentions is is definitely the start of that although like I think sonically, it's a little lighter. Lyrically, like someone was like, this is a breakup song, isn't it? And I was like, no. Yeah, you, uh,
0: the line <laughs> I have is, um, I cry the day I leave New York. How apt did that How apt, That's before I learned my name. Were you, so you're obviously sad to leave New York. Like, was it your own decision to come back to Ireland?
1: It kind of was. Like my visa and my lease on my apartment were ending the same week, right? And, and you so, like,
0: this is a sign.
1: Yeah, I had, like I could have, renewed boat, but it would have been a lot of money and a lot of work and uh, I I think I, I genuinely I think I was ready to leave New York I don't know that I was ready to come back home like so but I had nowhere else to go <laughs> so yeah. uh like but when I left New York like I left I, I, I feel sorry for my friends there because I was honestly like I I, may, I was like this. I am not leaving. I'm just going home for a few <laughs> months, and then I'm coming back. And so I left loads of my stuff there, <laughs> like my I left a suitcase of clothes under my friend JD's D's bed for like a year. I left my like my bass guitar. I left a keyboard there, and everyone was like, "When are you coming back?" And I was like, "Just in a minute." <laughs> like, so, but I like I don't know. I think I think for me, leaving New York was like a little bit of. Felt a little bit like failing, you know, because I think when I moved there, I that is a place where you you move to somewhere like New York with a a lot of big dreams and big ambitions, and um, I think you know by leaving, I sort of admitted to myself that some of those things were not coming true in that version of my life that I had imagined for myself, and so sometimes I associate that a little bit with giving up or something even though i know it was the right thing to do like it was part of me thinks i should have actually left earlier um but i was just holding on to it um for a while
0: hmm. um hard to fake it uh the first line we were in the upstairs bar pissing off the engineer waiting for the band to break how do we get out of here uh wh- what was the band what was the band <laughs>
1: i <about>? can't <laughs> tell you that <laughs> The Ireland is way too small to be talking about which band I was, I was waiting to end. There, no. I tell you, that is a bar that everybody has been in, though, and uh, a specific music night that everybody everybody would know, <laughs> but I, can't, I cannot disclose names or locations.
0: Okay, okay. Um, the city felt like I was coming up at Trinity. I think I've got that line right. The
1: city felt like ours. The city felt like ours.
0: Oh, right. And like I was coming up at Trinity.
1: City for the I actually can't
0: remember it. <laughs> did you go to Trinity? No, I didn't. That was going to be my question.
1: I did not go to Trinity.
0: Uh, but you're hanging out, hanging out with people who did. And not and even.
1: I was. It was just a very rainy night in Dublin, and it was like three in the morning, and we were walking around and literally just passed the gates of Trinity, looking for a bar that might be open. Which. Oh okay. One of those nights. One of those nights. Oh, yeah. Okay. When nobody wants to go home.
0: <laughs> um. So a holiday uh, is down to the beach. Now the light's almost faded with two glasses of wine that we took from the house. This is, I, I think that you kind of answered this earlier. Like this seems like a very specific moment. And so like when it's happening, you know that, oh, this might, I'll store this away.
1: Yeah. Like I don't know if it's weird <laughs> I don't know if people like there are I don't know, I think there there's certain moments in your life that as they are happening you feel like they are really significant. And sometimes they do have a kind of poetry to them and a kind of romanticism to them. It's not that in those moments I'm like, this will make a great song. You know, <laughs> but I I I actually think I experience them and I remember them in a very specific way that i ca- that i can't help but like write it down and and re retell it or or something um
0: do you keep a diary
1: i go through habits where i do and then i forget and i don't do it for a couple of months I- actually when i was when i was doing this stuff i was keeping a diary hmm. um when i like for the the couple of months like when i wrote this song i was keeping a diary and i remember I remember like parts of it because sometimes I would also just draw pictures um but yeah that that that's that was just a song that I or a moment where I felt like everything felt incredibly heightened and there's so much detail in that song you know and I knew I don't know that I knew. I, w- I don't think I knew I would write a song about it, but it's one of those things that stays in your head so vividly that, like, almost the only way to get beyond it is to is to write it down.
0: Yeah. Um. A- another line that I picked out from that song is, "That's my first name." I like the way you say it. I'm guessing you get a lot of variations on circa, <laughs> Sorcha.
1: Especially when you live in America and you have an yeah, Irish name. Yeah.
0: What's your favorite? Do you have any favorite um, pronunciations? I mean, same. Starbucks I would, is probably good for... Starbucks,
1: yeah. Well, like, I, I had a poetry teacher in college who called me... He called me Surika, correctly, for the first two months. And then, like, I, in the third month, he started calling me Sorcha. But it felt like it was too... It felt... I was like, well, you, you had it right, you know? So it felt like, all of a sudden, it was just weird to be reintroducing myself in, like, month three. That So then everyone else in my class used to, like, make a point to say my name correctly yeah but why I did he know. change he just i think he just forgot <laughs> it's so weird i also used to like give fake names at starbucks or like at a coffee shop in america and then i made a point to not do that because i was like no circuit this is your name and it's got a it. good name yeah
0: <laughs> um we're almost there now we're almost at the end of the album jackpot is another kind of acoustic type song i saw you in the city by the churchyard. knew that this would kill me i guess that we're kind of nearing the end of a kind of a relationship do you get nervous about like you know putting those moments in in the songs
1: see for me this song is actually about the start of a relationship oh, okay but i kind of i kind of like that everyone can can hear it and
0: Everybody's hearing the sad songs and thinking they're happy. I know. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> I know. No, the happy songs are the sad songs. But
1: also, like even how my friend like listened to Good Intentions and was like, "Oh, it's a breakup song," and I was like, "That's I didn't <laughs> intend for it to be a breakup song." But I think it's I think it's kind of cool how people can listen to them and on, sometimes it's genuinely based on their own life or that you know they sort of you, you the listener brings their own stuff to it and kind of fills in the gaps a little. Um so yeah this is one that i wrote kind of about the start of a relationship start of a relationship but not knowing if it would actually ever be a relationship do you know what i mean so that's where all of that uncertainty comes from in it um i feel like that's such a melodramatic line as well, isn't <laughs> well it's, it? i mean like melodra-
0: melodrama seems to be the the, one of the <laughs> yeah, flavor of the day <laughs> uh smiling like an idiot is the final song uh on my birthday we do karaoke you sing i know the story about this song because joe furlong was on the podcast yeah i I listened
1: i listened to that episode
0: i mean what's your version of the night
1: honestly that was like the greatest birthday party i ever had (laughs) i loved it we had been on we were in germany playing in um reaper band i think me and joe and kian and and the band and we flew back and I think it was we had a it was my birthday that day maybe so I remember we landed in Dublin, went home to have a little sleep, and then we went and met at Lord Edward Pub in, uh, in in the in town by the cathedral by the, cath- the cathedral yeah Domino told me it was her favourite so I go and bring all of my favourite people, um, I don't know it was just that it was like one of those nights I think Joe said this to you when he was here but it was like so many people from my life different kind of corners of my life all met for the first time. I have no, and David had us all back to his house and we did we did karaoke until God knows what time. But it was, again, it was one of those, like the, I had people texting me for like weeks <laughs> to be like, that was the best party ever circa. And I don't even think I did anything. I just put really good people in a room with each other, you know. <laughs> but yeah, that's where Joe and David met. And that's that was kind of, the birth of the cope, I guess, and then I obviously felt like it was important enough that I needed to write a song about it too.
0: A well-covered night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's your? I asked Joe what his karaoke song was. Do you have a favorite go-to that uh, that you pull out for karaoke?
1: Sometimes me and Joe do a duet, and oh, we do. Um, we, didn't say this. we do. You're the one that I want from Greece, but I also really like to do. You're so vain.
0: Two solid choices. Yeah. Um, swing for the bases you sing later in that song are you a baseball fan
1: <laughs> I actually no I, I mean when I lived in New York I did my one of my friends was a huge baseball fan and so I used to go to Yankee Stadium with him I sent Alex who is American he's from Los Angeles I sent Alex a version of this song and he was like Cirque you know in baseball you don't swing for the bases like that's not
0: what you do you swing for the fences
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> he was like He's like, I kind of like it, though. It is kind of cool. But he's like, he's it like, was that intentional or do you just, did you get mixed up? And I was like, I got mixed up.
0: You didn't change it?
1: Well, so then he was like, so then we, it goes, you know, swing for the bases, don't trade places. And then the next line it goes, swing for the fences, whatever consequences. So I kind of amended it. But I left it in because I just like how it sounds.
0: Yeah. Uh, did you enjoy baseball while you were watching it when you went to the... Any of the games because it's it's the American sport I just can't get into. I just yeah. think it's so boring and it's so long. It's and very I don't long. Understand
1: it. I kind of the first couple of times I went, I enjoyed like the spectacle of it, you know, all the like songs and the whole like even taking the train up to the Bronx to go and I. But then after like I, I don't know, I feel like so little of it was actually any baseball. do you know what I
0: mean just waiting around and drinking beers
1: yeah and like another like do 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 like that (laughs) kind of funny little song that comes on the speakers
0: and there's 156 games in a baseball season it's ridiculous
1: because we'd go to things and they'd be like oh this is like game 4 of you know yeah 7 and I was like why don't they just play one (laughs) then it would matter more Uh, but I guess they'd make less money so Maybe that's, what that's it. what all about in America. <laughs> money, money, money. Uh
0: and finally we'll we'll end on the where you got the title from. I'm smiling like an idiot again. Uh it's the second time I think that you call yourself an idiot on the album I think. <laughs> yeah, it is. I think there's a reference earlier in, <laughs> in it. In purgatory, uh, I, yeah. Is it is it an affectionate term? Is it a Um
1: yeah, I mean smiling like an idiot is definitely an affectionate term. It's kind of it's something that my girlfriend said to me a few times like as a joke, um, <laughs> when I was like uh, clearly smiling like an idiot, like too happy for my own good. But I remember actually that is something that I wrote down and I, I was like, that would make a really good song title. So I wrote that, I never do this, but for that one I wrote the title before and I kind of wrote the song to the title. And then once I did that, I was like, actually I think that should be the title of the of the album. But it is definitely... Affectionate, I think. <laughs> uh,
0: are you proud of the album? You're happy with what you've um, accomplished?
1: I'm very proud. Like I said, it's it's so hard to make. I make music all the time that I don't like, you know, and so to actually get to the point where you've made an album that you like, I like to listen. I won't. I never listen to it after it comes out, but I always listen to it up until the point that it's released, and then I feel like I never listen to it again. But I I really like it, and we actually had a really. It was a really nice time making it as well. It was it's just a lot of fun. So yeah, I'm very proud of it.
0: Tell me about the very last part of the album where someone says that was awful. (laughs) At the at the end of the take, and you say, Yeah, let's do one more.
1: That was that was Joe. I think uh he just whatever take on he, he plays bass on that song. Also because that song opens with a line about Joe. It says, Me and Joe, we go dancing in Manchester. And then I think if after he f- he finished his bass take, he was obviously wasn't happy. So he was like, "That was awful."
0: And is that the take that you used on the song, or is it a?
1: We definitely used parts of that because I didn't. We didn't even. We, we definitely had that. That's the only reason we we heard it, you know, because we 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 left it in and it was just running. Um, I don't know. I think it's it just that seemed like it would be a shame to take it out, <laughs> so he <laughs> just left it there.
0: And have you started writing morning music? Have you got a couple of new songs under your belt already or kind of waiting and seeing?
1: I, I do, like, I actually, I had a lot of stuff written for the first one, for this one. It's not for the first one, oh my God. I had a lot of stuff written for this album. Probably like two albums worth of stuff and some of them just weren't right or they weren't they weren't there yet. But there's, there's a good few that I think just need a little bit more work and could... I would like to release. So I do have a few in my pocket, but uh, I think I also just need to take, need to not write anything for a little while and then come back with kind of fresh, fresh head and ears and fresh ideas
0: cool well hopefully when that comes out we can do it again we can talk yeah through all, we, can. we can talk to all of your inner turmoil <laughs> yeah. and all of the lyrics on the songs just if you become like a more abstract writer i don't know if that what will, will we
1: do i know <laughs> <laughs> I, i'm not gonna lie i've tried i've tried to do that <laughs> and I, tell me what it's about. I have not mastered it yet
0: <laughs> well maybe in time maybe in time maybe in time cool well listen thanks for chatting through the whole album and congrats again on on making a great album
1: thanks so much owen
4: There's a blue light outside the store The bell chimes with the sliding doors Got my sharp eyes so it won't be long Leave a car outside with the engine on We pass the flowers and the magazine You're turning heads, wagons oh, caused a scene In the spotlight, but you wear it while well, I call you First prize. Can probably tell.
0: That's Shark Eyes by Circa Richardson. What a song. What an album. What a lyricist. What an artist. What a talent. Hope you enjoyed that interview. Thanks to Circa for being so generous with her time. Now, our kit, AKA Robbie Kit, is playing Haunted Dancehall at the NCH this weekend, October 1st and 2nd. It's taking place across five rooms from 7pm to past 2am both nights and it's not even a bank holiday weekend guys what a treat also playing over the weekend at the nch 10 tricks point never katarina barbieri roger doyle sunil sharp from give us the night fears lane howley gush sunken foal tr1 caught EFO O'Neill. there's lots to discover and it is all the makings of a great weekend And hopefully Haunted Dancehall is going to be an annual fixture going forward as well. I talked to Robbie last week. He's a key campaigner in Give Us The Night, which I'm sure you've heard about by now. They're an independent volunteer group of professionals operating within the nighttime industry, campaigning for positive changes to nightlife in Ireland, with particular regard to music venues. So yeah, this interview was last week pre-budget, so you'll hear us talking about what he wants in the budget. That took place on Tuesday, September 27. Guilherme talk about special exemption orders, SEOs, which give us the night wanted abolished. They've only been halved from 410 euro a night to 205 euro. Positive, I suppose, but it doesn't go far enough. They wanted it abolished. Hopefully, that's something that will happen in the future. Also announced a 6 million euro nighttime economy fund, which is aimed at driving football into towns, supporting performances, soundproofing grants to support venues, as well as eight Nighttime advisors who will lead reforms nationwide, according to a report in the Irish Times. Finance Minister Pascal Donoghue said in his budget speech that longer term reforms will be announced when the general scheme of the sale of alcohol bill is published within weeks. As Robbie says in our chat, the devil will be in the details. So, yeah, we're talking pre budget. Those are the key details you need to know about since here he is on the Point of Everything podcast. Buckle up. So we're talking a couple of days before the budget and by the time this episode comes out it'll be the day after the budget. How positive are you feeling about it? Like I know that Give Us The Night released a nine-point plan pre-budget submission. Are you positive that some of those things are going to come in? Um, Yeah it's like listen it's it's like <laughs> with anything with
5: any sort of political like kind of campaign or the endeavor to change any sort of kind of legislative condition around cultural activity you know (laughs) um i don't think positive is not really the word sometimes (laughs) in terms of your hope of the outcomes it's like persistent i suppose is the word that i often frame and like trying to retain persistence in the face of uh i don't know kind of like, yeah, uh, just obstacles that constantly pop themselves up. Like, the legislative process and the political system, is just, it's just very slow, and it's very slow to adopt ideas. And, like, the one of the, like, the top proposal in our pre-budget submission is about space. It's about capital funding schemes, about the idea that we should enable, basically, small arts organisations to be able to buy their own spaces and then give them control of the spaces in that way so that they can protect themselves against many of the forces of the market that kind of just, like, eradicate grassroots DIY cultural communities um, at a very, very early nascent stage across the entire country of Ireland. So we've been talking about that with the government for years, you know, and I suppose our pre-budget submission this year kind of reflects, I suppose, where we think we've advanced at least the dialogue to a point where they understand. Like now, I think the Minister for Culture particularly understands that there's a desperate need for space. And this space issue has now become this dominant theme of a lot of political discourse in ireland which is really important because basically like you know to give a bit of context i suppose on our own relationship with um the government like you know uh, i i've got involved with the campaign give like, us night five years ago in 2018 but the campaign actually itself is 18 years old and sunil sharp is the founder and like, and he's been with it the entire time and um, so but i basically kind of relaunched the campaign in 2018 and and we did a kind of year of research and we published a mandate and then we kind of provided that mandate to a lot of politicians and relative government departments. And when at the time I reached out to the Department of Culture about these issues to do with culture and like nighttime economy, but like, you know, we didn't really use those terms, basically about like cultural activity and the kind of cultural spaces for cultural expression within the nighttime economy and the kind of obstacles that they face. We kind of reached out to the Department of Culture being like, this is something that you should care about. And the response that we got was, this is an issue to do with licensing. You're, you should be talking to the Department of Justice. Now, that was in 2019. Now we're in a stage in 2022 where there's an established nighttime economy task force within the Department of Culture. Like we are able to attend monthly nighttime economy Uh, Task Force implementation group meetings, which brings together stakeholders from so many different government departments, which actually have roles in the like reform of this area. So like you're talking about the Department of Culture, but also the Department of Justice, Department of Planning, Department of the Environment, Department of Health, Department of uh, uh, Transport like the OPW, National Cultural Institutions, the Arts Council, loads of different public actors, and people are able to get around the, a table and discuss, right, how are we able to actually coordinate these multi-department, this, this more multi-departmental approach and actually address these issues? Now, that is something that just doesn't really happen in, uh, in, our, in an Irish governmental context. And so I know this is a very long-winded question about asking about my positivity, about what the budget is going to bring. But I think what we've learned, I suppose, is that nothing comes in kind of these instant moments. One thing that we are obviously on the lookout for is the publishing of the heads of bill of the reform uh, related to the sale of alcohol bill. And that's going to be published next month, uh, as as the government say. So that's going to be a really important piece of legislation. That's essentially amounts to the kind of the licensing reform uh, issues that we've been talking about over the last five years uh, pretty intensely. And there is seems to be some political movement on that that's going to result hopefully in a really positive change but we remain to see what the actual conditions of that reform are going to be and the the devil is in the details so you know please hold with us and wait until we express our views on what those um those reforms are going to be don't believe everything you read in the papers but like yeah basically it's just one of those things the involvement of this campaign has just been a it's been a kind of a It's been a test on my capacity to stay positive about change and about, like, affecting change in Ireland particularly. But I still do stay positive, and I still think it's possible, and I still contribute my time towards the campaign because I think it's worthwhile. So, you know, maybe I've gone insane, but (laughs) I am actually relatively positive.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was going to ask, like, on on one hand, do you kind of enjoy it? The kind of, I guess, the kind of tête-à-tête sitting at the table and trying to convince these people of some of your plans on one hand do you enjoy it and then on the other hand i presume yeah you're banging your head off the table a lot of the time as well just waiting for this slow bureaucratic change to happen
5: yeah like i suppose enjoy is not the word because it's like it it, the the response is is just not fast enough and it's not urgent enough and like so i suppose like you know we've been trying to communicate this as an existential crisis for five years and like now like you know, the DIY spaces are already gone. You know, there's a lot of people talking about how businesses are going to be threatened now by this cost of living increase. And I think it's really interesting about like DIY cultural communities So I think often they're actually on the front line of that that type of kind of uh, precarity and you lose them first. And now like there's like very, very like legitimate concerns like coming from business communities about like how their capacity to survive this like, you know, incoming cost of living crisis, you know? And... That the reality is that crisis has been facing cultural communities for years, for years and years and years. So like we're going in there, and we know this because like I spend pretty much all of my time as part of these type of communities. You know, I volunteer with these type of organisations, and I put a lot of my time into trying to help out with these things. And I understand how like precarious these things are, and how I'm struggling pretty much every volunteer organisation in the our country, not just cultural organisations, just any volunteer organisation across the country of Ireland are. And like how how little time people have to commit, how how hard it is, how much emotional labor goes into it. So, like, I suppose it's hard to enjoy it when you kind of know that that's the case. You know. Um having said that, it is. I do enjoy com- communication. You know, I I'll I'll be honest about that. Like, you know, I like to communicate things, and I do find it satisfying when things that we are saying become, uh, I suppose, much more accepted as discourse. Uh, like teams within a political context. So like, let's even say, for example, I've been tr- going on harping on for three or four years about the need for small spaces for DIY cultural communities and trying to express this idea that if you don't have small cultural spaces which are completely incubated from the demands and the wants of the market then you'll never have this kind of original pool of creative material which can go on to become really like you know uh, economically viable cultural products like there's not this is not to say that this is not a like an economic argument and I've been trying to communicate this in a way in which like they seem to like the government can understand it, but not just understand, like not just co-opt our language and start using it as a press release. Cause that's something that you have to be aware of as well. So it's like it is this dance, you know, um, and I I do enjoy communication, but I suppose I understand what the stakes are as well. So that makes it not really <laughs> enjoyable. I, I I have to say, like, even in preparation for gigs over the summer, um, it gave me because like the last few years during the pandemic, I was a lot, a lot of my time was going into the campaign and I wasn't really putting a lot of time into my music and being able to do that over the last couple of months has really kind of shown to me what I actually enjoy doing. And like, I enjoy making music. I enjoy DJing, you know, and I enjoy sharing that type of stuff. That's the stuff I want to do. I don't want to be doing this, even though I enjoy communication. It's quite frustrating, really, to be honest. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was one of the things I wanted to ask you, like how much of your time is actually going into Give Us the Night? I'm presuming like this is a particularly busy busy time as well, pre-budget.
5: Mm, yeah, like I it's like, it's it just varies you know like and it's kind of like any volunteer organization like you know the expectations on your time commitments can't be the same as they are within like kind of a typical employment context you know so you just have to kind of give what you can now I've been fortunate in that I was like able to get some funding last year for example so it allowed me to like divest a lot of my time towards like organizing with volunteer organizations and so like so last year pretty much like my it's been a I, I would equate it to a full-time job, you know, like seeing that there's, like a week doesn't go by in which I don't put errors into the campaign but I'm also spread across a few different organizations. So I suppose like that, those hours go in different places at different times. And so it's just one of those things, but like the campaign itself as well, as like, you know, it's, it's, it's grassroots and it's DIY. And like, um, and I, I, I always have to say this when I talk about this, like, you know, I, I do contribute a lot of time towards the campaign, but nothing compares to what Sun Hill puts into it. The guy is the most legitimate person I've ever met in my life and incredibly inspiring. And like the amount of his life he's dedicated towards this, is insane like then I definitely can relate to the effects that it has on your personal life it's like it is one of these things where there's massive issues here and like I don't think people are aware of the scope of the issues that kind of Ireland faces on a policy-making level, like the kind of the amount of progress that we have to make to ensure that the conditions are there for some sort of progressive society as we move into the future. Like there's a lot of work that has to be done. One of the things as well that we've really learned through this campaign is that like campaigns aren't just about raising issues and highlighting awareness about them. They're also about then following through and actually holding the hand of the government all the way until they change the law and like you can't stop until that happens basically which is like a really frustrating thing i think it's something that people don't realize in terms of the nitty gritty of this like it requires constant like maintenance and constant communication and like again persistence and repetition of things you think you've said like a hundred times we're still talking about like seos and explaining what they are and for us that's like just so insane and like i won't like explain to your listeners what the seo system is because hopefully before the end of the year it's going to be gone but like then i'll give i'll give one example like about like how kind of um i suppose like incredibly uh basic the irish licensing system is for events under five heads capacity if you're not selling alcohol the only permission that you actually have to get like if you have the permission of the landlord is a dance license there's no other permissions that you have to get so you could run an event in this country for under five thousand people not sell alcohol get the permission of the landowner, and you don't have to tell anybody about it you don't have to tell the guards You not to tell anybody but if you have any dancing at your events then you have to get a dance license. Now that license is based on the Public Dance Halls Act of 1935, and the regulation doesn't actually contain any sort of like criteria as to like what denotes a safe dancing space or anything like that. Essentially, it's being used as a blunt legislative instrument by the guards to give permission for events. And so like if, for example, if you're running a small festival down the country, you have to go to the local guard station and basically get them to give you a dance license, to give you permission to do your event it's not a system where you again are like creating some sort of law that relates to the infrastructure the the law actually relates to people's behavior so it's like what's being <laughs> regulated here is the movement of people's body in bodies in public space that's like what the law says it's the public dance halls act of 1935 and what the legislation is basically says is that if you are organizing a publicly uh, accessible dance, then you have to get permission of the court to do so. And the only reason that that is there is that it's basically, it was a piece of legislation that was introduced in the 1930s on the back of a thing called the Carrigan commission, which was basically an inquest into the moral condition of the state where the Catholic church found that there was like uh, an inordinate amount of intimate behavior happening in uh, these rural traditional music house gatherings, parties, that were going on all night long. You'd have just a, somebody's house with like one room for dancing, one room for storytelling. And, and, you know, God knows what was happening upstairs, but the Catholic church wasn't happy about that. And so basically they said, no, we want to like ban this type of behavior. And then in one fell swoop, they basically like not only like moralized this activity and like brought it under the auspices of the church and brought it into the town centers brought it into the dance halls but then they also commodified it which is I think the most interesting thing and maybe one of the biggest tragedies of that whole event is that at the time there was this DIY cultural communities springing up in people's houses and it wasn't a commercial enterprise that's not where traditional music actually existed in the 1930s it existed in people's houses and I really feel if that had been given the capacity to grow over the last 80 years, like we've obviously seen so much interesting traditional music being made with the recent kind of Celtic revival and the interest interest in like traditional music again and like records like John Francis Flynn's records and like, you know, this like genuinely pushing the boundaries of what Irish traditional music is in a really progressive way. Like I can only imagine what could have happened over the last, you know, 90 years had that type of music been given that space to grow within that context. And then like even to talk about, like how those dance halls, you know, operated in the 1950s, they were proliferating through the country. And that was really good that the country had those social spaces at that time, which young people do not have today. And at the time, you know, you can find posters online about like public dance halls in Carzavine running nights until three o'clock on a Wednesday. Like, and if you're going to go to Carzavine these days at three o'clock on a Wednesday, I don't think you're gonna to find too much activity going on in town. Like, The idea that this is like actually something that is like normal in rural Ireland or should be accepted, it's like it doesn't even have precedence. We actually, even in the time of the dance halls, where certain types of dances were banned, you couldn't dance the tango if you went into the dance hall, you'd be kicked out. So like even at like at that time, there was active intervention from the Catholic Church in the bodily behaviour of people within these dance halls even in that context, you still had parties going and cars being until three o'clock in the morning. And we don't even have that now. (laughs) So so it's just, I think, like the scale of things in Ireland, that's just one example, basically, of licensing laws. It's actually not even a huge part of the licensing laws, but it's an incredibly insane, like archaic aspect of our laws, which has never been addressed, never been repealed and never been like actually, I suppose, structured in a way that's coherent in modern society. Um, And our Irish legislative systems are like kind of littered with these pieces of legislation and it's a yeah it's it's something that really requires intervention so I can't even remember what the start of this conversation was but yeah we're here
0: we are now I suppose. Uh, Well I mean as with almost everything in Ireland it always comes back to the Catholic Church doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Did you uh, you read um, that piece in the Irish Times I think it was last weekend about the illegal the rise of the illegal rave that seems like something that is almost a result of this like it says that even in the stand first to the piece that like with nightclubs in dublin mediocre in comparison crowds are flocking to late night events in woods that are like you know often unpleased you don't, you don't know what's happening to them i haven't been to any of them i don't know if you've been to them but i think broadly they're kind of a positive thing i think yeah. i don't know if you have i mean it sounds like if you say rave to a politician they're like there are alarm bells going off around them
5: yeah. And I think this is like, you know, like Sunil actually raised this point this week at the um, Arts SBC with the City Council. Like, you know, we need to just like completely take away the stigma of this idea of rave. And like, because in again, like that whole history of the Public Dance Halls Act, like the stigma that that has put in the minds of our legislative bodies in relation to the act of dancing. Like, it's like not just about rave culture and stuff that happened in the 90s. Again, this goes back deep beyond that like you know to the very origins of the irish state really in many ways so like you know i think that's kind of the the i suppose attitude that you're kind of really battling when you're trying to talk about the activity of dancing and young people gathering and getting together and dancing like i don't understand why you want to ban that type of behavior for young people okay i understand that you want to have those behavior those that type of activity happening in like safe and regulated spaces yeah totally absolutely but the law doesn't give room for that and that's exactly what the campaign is trying to be talked about and we've talked about this for years we've said that there's going to be this rise because especially after the pandemic like we're talking about like 75 percent of dancing spaces in the country that we've lost in the last 20 years where do young people go if they want to socialize this is like i've talked about this to the in front of like representatives in the doll it's like we have to provide young people with social infrastructure. If you want to challenge antisocial behaviour, in my opinion, the only way in which you can challenge antisocial behaviour is with social behaviour. The city is dead. Our suburbs are dead. There's nothing going on in them. So like, kids are then going to go out of those areas, away from prying eyes, and they're going to start things themselves. And I think that's really positive, to be honest. Like, if, they, if these people are doing these things in responsible ways and they're showing care for people who show up to their events and they're taking responsibility for that... Then, likes in all the best, all the better. Like, you know, it seemed like that was actually kind of expressed by one of the organizers in that Irish Times article. And he kind of seemed to like admit that like he was like, "It's all on me." If anything happens, I'm taking responsibility. He seemed to say, "Recognize that he's putting himself in that position." But it shouldn't be the case that young people only are faced with these options. Because the reality is that if young person, a young person wants to run an event, they have to go to a pub owner or a club owner. Basically, these are the only spaces that they can actually put on events. And like if we're talking about people's consumption of substances, we should talk about people's consumption of alcohol and also like the fact that younger people are drinking way less alcohol nowadays. And perhaps it is a way in which we can divest our social behaviours away from the consumption of alcohol by providing young people with areas and social spaces which are not actually explicitly like... economically concerned with the sale of alcohol, because regardless of what you like, I think pubs are great and they're really important parts of our social infrastructure in Ireland. To be honest, they have a bit of a monopoly on it, but at the end of the day, their business involves the sale of alcohol. And when they're renting out a space to a young person, the, like the, what they care about is the take on the bar they don't care about young people coming into the venue and having a good time and treating the space as their own and feeling like this is like where they feel culturally welcome and comfortable that's not really the priority from my experience of dealing with business owners and um, they are concerned about their business and their business is the sale of alcohol. So that's like perfectly reasonable and understandable. It's not something to be shamed about. But if you wanna provide young people with safe options and places to go, then you need to provide them with more access to more infrastructure. It has to be different places. And like that can include art centers. It can include community centers. It can include just a black box anywhere. It doesn't have to be complicated. Like as, in, as long as the space is safe, and like, uh, can meet like regulatory requirements, then it, they should just be allowed to do things. They shouldn't have to run through loads of hoops to organise these events. And it's inevitable then, if they are provided with these inaccessible routes towards infrastructure that is an in- inadequate anyway for the types of events that they're trying to put on, that they're just going to go and do it themselves. And I think more power to them. You know, again, this is what I say, is like the government has taken too long in acting on this. And like young people have been just betrayed like young people are no fools they understand where they stand in the economic priorities of the state they understand that they don't contribute economically to the state in the same way that you know multinational foreign companies and uh, institutional investors do and they don't, and they understand that they don't they don't like that's not what the kind of state is kind of building itself to accommodate because that's like in, in the city in dublin particularly for any person who's working any sort of creative work like any young artists they understand that this city is not built for them like the and like that is like an economic priority of the government now The government can wake up to that and start understanding that actually, if they're organising a society, they shouldn't just be myopically focusing on the economic side of that society. They should also focus on the social side of that society. And the reality is, in this country, we've never had any significant investment in the social infrastructure that is available to young people in this country. So... That's what needs to change. That's again the top line of our budget's pre-budget submission. It's about space. People need access to space, and it's as simple as that. And so there needs to be schemes that allow people to take ownership of their space and do things that they like want to do in their own terms. Like you know, young people just need to be able to be given control, and young artist collectives need to be given freedom, and they shouldn't be just held back by these like really archaic systems, which essentially are just constructed to try and serve the interests of people who are trying to sell alcohol within the nighttime economy. (laughs)
3: <laughs> well
0: well said well said um mu- might talk about music for a little bit your own music um yeah. i know that you've just finished your ddr show lifeline um uh this morning uh do you enjoy doing that how long have you been doing it
5: yeah, so it will, well, Lifeline's really so DDOR is yeah a community radio station based here in Dublin, basically, um, and I'm I've been volunteering with it for years. I've kind of just been gotten more involved in the last year. Lifeline is a show that I started during the pandemic, and I basically was like doing it every day at one point <laughs> because we were all losing our minds, like in that early stage of the pandemic where you didn't see anybody for two months, and so I was just doing this radio show in like my parents' kitchen, um, where I was back living for a while, and uh, and yeah, it was just like it was just a funny, funny experience. Um, And then I decided to keep it on because the thing about the uh, DDR is that like, yeah, we're just really trying to encourage people to listen live to the, to the radio and, there's not a lot of people again who can have the time to like do like really regular shows. So it's a, it's a weekly show. It's on every Thursday from 12 to one. I just go into the studio. It's like a real kind of like habitual thing now at this stage where like, I just go in, I do the thing. I, I actually don't upload the shows. So the shows are just broadcast live, like continuity kind of like, you know, do you ever hear those stories about like how like RTE apparently never recorded any of the Zig and Zag stuff. It was like all just continuity. So they were like taping over tapes every single time that they like, shot a new thing zigzag so they don't have any archive material of like the vast majority of zig and zag's contributions to rte or whatever like that's the kind of thing i'm trying to create here (laughs) (laughs) i didn't
0: expect a zig and zag comparison but it's well made well made nonetheless
5: but uh but like yeah like that's the like it's just like a, a regular show where you know people can know that if they tune into the Radio at 12 o'clock on a Thursday I'm gonna be on I just play music that like you know I kind of just go in and use it as a way to like run through tunes because I've been collecting music for a very long time and to be honest I'm starting to get forgetful in my early 30s so uh it's good for me to go back through my tracks when, especially when I have gigs at the weekend so I go in there I kind of chat a few things that are on my mind it's a uh, very very like uh yeah Free roaming in the topics that are discussed, um, and maybe also I get a little bit loose-lipped because I know that things aren't being recorded as well. <laughs> but you're listening, listen in and find out if uh, <laughs> if I'm saying any salacious, uh, salacious things on air, you know.
0: <laughs> and um, I asked you earlier how much uh, of your time was taken up by Give Us the Night. What about music making? How much uh, time is kind of dedicated to that? So for me, like I
5: find it like really. Um, hard to focus on music when I don't have kind of some sort of I suppose like goal where I'm going to be sharing some of the music that I'm making with in a relational context you know and so I found it's really hard during the pandemic I was like I'd no gigs and I used to basically like, like if I had a gig a live performance gig I'd be writing like crazy like I remember in 2019 I got a I got asked last minute to do this really big closing gig at alternate all together now and like on a stage that i feel like i still feel like i had no right being on but like basically i was a closing like a really big tent and i kind of knew like i was playing 145 to half three or something like this so it was like a super long live set It was like an hour and 45 minutes and then an hour and 15 minutes or and like anyway i basically i was like i knew i had to like write a huge amount of material i had a month to prepare and um and I just went into the studio every single day because I just knew I was going to go and play this gig to probably a few thousand people because of the nature of the tent and the time slot and I was just like, okay, this is like the thing and I find that actually really easy like, you know, I have a gig this week sorry, sorry, last week <laughs> I have a gig okay. uh, uh, in. I had a gig in Limerick which hopefully went well <laughs> and so like, I've been preparing I had been preparing last week, sorry this is, I know, just for your listeners, we recorded this a little bit of the past Uh <laughs> I had been preparing all week, like making music for this. And that's kind of how I approach live gigs basically. Each live gig that I do, I try to write new material. Um, and I try to approach it like I would a DJ set in a way, because like I'm never going to go to a DJ set and like play the same set that I played at my last set. I kind of feel the same way about live performance, which means that I end up like taking on way too much work and uh I try and like write loads more stuff. But then it is good when I have a kind of a series of gigs. So I had like a gig and uh, I try not to take on too much, but during the summer I had a gig in Emma in the courtyard and then this gig in Limerick and so like after those two gigs I've got like a huge amount of material and then I can go on like go back to that kind of like finish that up produce it to a kind of a releasable level and put it out so that's kind of my process and it always has been my process it got completely derailed with the pandemic and I kind of felt myself like just a little bit at sea and uh found it really really hard to like just stick with ideas and really finish things because like, it just felt like there was no environment in which I was going to meaningfully share the work I was trying to do. And I know that's like a little bit, maybe dependent on the, uh, the, like the, the, the reaction of others to your work a little bit. But for me, it's like, it's very important that my work is kind of relationally realized rather than just something that exists in my head. And so that part of the process is actually part of the songwriting process for me, you know? And like, I think it's like, for me as well, like coming up as a DJ, like you learn so much from the dance floor and when you're DJing, you want to be in a, like a kind of reciprocal relationship with the dance floor. You're like responding to what their wants are and their needs are obviously through the lens of your own aesthetic taste, but like you're, you're open to what the dance floor needs and like, really you are like you're serving the dance floor, you know, know, you're not serving yourself. And so in that, capacity when it comes to making tracks i want to make sure that like there is that relationship with with people dancing and so i have to see people dancing for that and like that's why i suppose like the gig in nima this year during the summer was like really amazing for me because it was just like the first time since 2019 where i actually just was like able to see people dancing in response to my music and i was just like okay i can do this again i I didn't i kind of forgot i could do this and so like without that i i find it quite hard to like kind of get the real confidence to say that like these tracks are going to actually do something to dance for us i need to actually see people dancing you know um and probably in the same way that the guards did in 1935 if they wanted to issue somebody with a fine or something yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: have you got any releases coming up like are you in the music making process
5: yes yes so i basically i'm going to be releasing next month a couple of edits like kind of just like edits that i've been playing live they're kind of like yeah edit the remixy things of tracks that people might know and so that would go up as a bit of a free download and like just to kind of serve as a stopgap between now and then hoping before the end of the year to put out two kind of two side singles just for at least digital release online so um hopefully that will be coming out in november and december and so essentially that's the plan um so yeah next month hopefully there'll be a couple of things coming out because there's been a it's been a while since i've put out some music as well you know um i haven't actually released anything since 2020 so uh yeah basically i'm really looking forward to actually sharing it with the music that i've been making because it's been ages
0: and you've got a cool gig coming up um this weekend at haunted dance hall at the national concert hall have you started thinking about what you're going to do there do you do you even know what you're actually going to be doing there
5: i actually don't i actually don't really know what i'm going to be doing so like i in like i don't know the setup necessarily and um, i'm really really intrigued like i suppose you know it's like i'm chuffed to being able to have been asked like to be honest this has been something as well within the nighttime economy task force that I've really been trying to push is this idea that opening up the national cultural institutions to this type of cultural activity is something that's really progressive and can offer space for, you know, electronic music communities to, like, perform and express themselves. And it is a viable solution, you know, and I think by kind of showing that this is possible within a national concert hall context, it also then kind of allows other arts like smaller art spaces to understand that this could happen in their spaces too this isn't scary again that idea of like demystifying what rave is you know i'm like i'm I'm looking forward to going and DJ and I hope that the setting is going to be appropriate for like playing a bit of techno, but like, that's like kind of what I hope to go and do. I hope that they provide us with a dark room and, uh, we can go and play like some music and people can get into their dancing in the national concert hall. Like, I think that like is something that just, yeah, I'm just really interested in, like even during the summer, I suppose playing that gig and Emma, um, Like, it was so reassuring to see, like, people dancing in the courtyard of Emma. And, like, I think as well for, like, these national cultural institutions, when they actually see these things, like, happening in front of them, they realise how, like, positive they are and how, like, like, how good it is for their space you know that people are interacting with these places not just as these kind of austere cultural artifacts that like ex- belong and exist in almost a different era but as like a living breathing part of the cultural infrastructure of the city that they live in and like then you know i think i think for the people in IMA, anyway at least during the summer it was amazing for them to see people dancing in their space because like when people are dancing in your space that means they're comfortable in your space you know you de- you typically don't dance if you're not feeling comfortable and one thing that always concerns me about national cultural institutions is that they seem so inaccessible to so many people in this country and i think that if you actually like have types of behavior that like is free and accessible or at least like affordable in these spaces then you have a situation where people can actually break through those barriers and they can actually see these places as parts of their cultural life and if that happens then I think it's nothing but good for these cultural institutions. You know what I mean? It just means that they're going to grow and they're going to be able to spread the type of people that they can, uh, I suppose, connect with in terms of their own programming as well. Like, so, you know, I think this is a really, really positive thing. I'm really happy that, uh, that likes in the National Conference is putting this on and likes in, I'm really happy that they're, they're like, exhibiting some really interesting electronic music as well and obviously it's not just all about dancing like it's, it's going to be really interesting experimental stuff happening in the main room and there's some really interesting like um Irish acts like Frog of Earth as well Like in an amazing electronic music producer who like made this incredible kind of ambient record on where the time goes an unbelievable uh, Irish electronic music label and um, basically about kind of imagining what life would be like as a frog <laughs> like sitting in a pond and it's a it's a beautiful beautiful record so he's going to playing live uh, a band called Gush which is Jen Moore and Henry Ernest like two like very innovative irish electronic music artists who have combined to like make this like glossy kind of pop outfit which is like the songs that gush are making are like i I saw them play their first gig uh, um in the hut it's this amazing venue in phippsborough where there's like interesting stuff happening every once in a while basically a free room in which you can rent so because it's free room lots of interesting stuff happens there (laughs) and so gush played to a room of like 80 people and they played uh this song of theirs called skydiving and it was the first time anybody had heard it and by the end of the song everybody knew the words and it was just like this really weird moment where it's like oh my god is this is this a song that i've actually known for my entire life and i just like didn't realize until i heard it today like you know and so like like i yeah i'm really glad that some of these irish artists are particularly getting showcased within the context of the national concert and i'm very very chuffed to be alongside them as well doing a bit of djing and um, because i suppose as well like I, you know i do a bit of live performance i do a bit of djing like as in I'm actually like, I think a little bit more interested in DJing. Like I do love doing live performances. And as I say, it's like a really important part of my songwriting process. But at the same time, like in for me, the perfect kind of uh the perfect uh facilitator of a dance floor is a DJ. And uh and so I I always
0: like to step into that facilitatory role. <laughs> great well uh nice positive way to end the conversation we kind of like <laughs> went through the went through the ups and downs there over the last half hour but um i appreciate the time and haunted dance hall sounds like it's gonna be a great event and hopefully the budget uh was uh, a good event as well And a give us the night perspective but uh i appreciate you taking the time and chatting was not at all.
5: my pleasure Ron. thank you
0: Owned by Arcade of his Orin 2 EP from 2020. Looking forward to hearing the new stuff he's working on. He's DJing at the terrace of the NCH at one 30am on Saturday. By the way, performances end at 2 30am both nights of Haunted Dance Hall. And yeah, it sounds like it's going to be a great event. Now, next up, Patrick Stefan used to be called Page, but during the lockdown, one of the themes among so many of the artists we've been talking to lately who made music over those awful couple of months and years of 2020 and 2021, he looked deep inside and wondered, was this what he wanted to do? So now he goes under his own name, Patrick Stefan. He's just released his debut album, Wayfair, which is just gorgeous—from his vocals to just a lovely guitar sound. It'll just make you melt. He's half Dutch, half Irish, born in Clare, living in Dublin. And you might have heard him on here a few weeks ago talking about another love song, which is dad, a folk singer, back in the day, and still apparently is. He wrote that one, and Patrick covered it. It's one of a number of highlights on Wayfair. Let's listen to another Half Moon Swimming Club, and then you'll hear me chatting with Patrick Steffen.
6: Those who've walked the shoes will know the great divide. But watching over me, I sense a love divine. Stand up, be strong, don't fall, you're not done. Stand up, be strong, when you fall, your are not done. moment I would die to defend, align my body for this could be the end, I feel the tug of war and it calls in foreign tongues. Upon my brain, Ooh, like a song, and song mm-hmm. Stand up, be strong, don't fall. Stand up, be strong when you fall.
0: Your album is called wayfair
7: correct yes
0: okay so i got that one right and it's kind of like almost like a journey through your life i feel is it i mean like you've lived all over the world do you do you want to just take us on your own life journey up to wayfair i mean we had go. you know okay, uh, you can just have the floor i'll just put down my <laughs> mic and you can just tell us you like yeah, feel free
7: to interject uh well yeah it kind of took on that journey aspect And it really, it's it's addressing, yeah, my own journey as a musician, as a person, and then also the kind of the physical places. And I've kind of been doing a lot of things over the last 10 years in music, and they're all in there, in a way. And then, like, I suppose for me, the, the fun part was putting in little references and kind of knowing where they were and... They're kind of like little Easter eggs for me, a lot of those things. And I, some of them don't even merit explaining. But like, um, yeah, each song does have a different kind of reference for a point or a time in my life or a place. Um, They're almost like your
0: own in-jokes. Sort a of little thing. bit,
7: yeah, <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, like I wouldn't have dreamt of recording. I don't know, for instance, like uh, one of the songs towards the end of the album is Sally Gardens and it's something that would be like i would never have thought of doing that and then at a certain point i kind of gave myself permission to to delve into all the things i'd done and that was from one of the earliest songs I ever learned um so i did my own spin on it of course i like sang it through a vocoder and whatever but like uh yeah each one each one has a little reference and uh we can go through them if you want <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, Sally Gardens is a traditional song, is it? it?
7: Yeah, exactly Uh, It's by, the text is by Yates And then I'm pretty sure that James Joyce harmonised it actually Put the harmony to it, so
0: yeah Wow
7: Two heavyweights there
0: I should have known that should have known that that was one of the songs i was gonna ask you about i was gonna say like this is the kind of two the
7: heavyweights on a collab track there <laughs> it's a, it's
0: like the i think it's kind of the main trad song on the album is that something that yeah like true. has always kind of followed you around the trad For real, yeah music I, and like
7: i always kind of rejected trad when i was younger because um i thought it was really uncool and my brother did it and we're almost the same age so we we're always treated like twins So it was very important to not do what he was doing and vice versa. So uh, we kind of defined ourselves. We're both very musical. And um, at that time, we kind of defined ourselves by what we like the opposite of each other in a way. So I was like, uh, there was a point where I was taping over his like body band uh, tapes with like now 2000 and stuff. All (laughs) these awful dance tunes (laughs) when I was in that phase. But things kind of leveled out. And, uh, yeah, so I play, I don't really play trad per se, but I'm always around traddy people. So it's always there. I play with the group called Ensemble Eru. We've been going since like 2012, 13. And it's like this trad fusion instrumental band. So, uh, yeah, it's always there in my ears without me being, it's kind of a, it's a tricky thing to kind of claim that it can feel like you have to be all in, uh, and it can be the same with... With jazz as well, which I spent a lot of time learning about jazz. Um, so I kind of like just allowing myself, as I said, to pick out bits that work for me, that resonate with me. Um, that's why the album sounds a bit varied, I suppose. But yeah, there may be more trad to come. We, we shall see.
0: Oh, so what were, you, what were you into while your brother was playing and listening to trad? Was it just kind of mainstream music? Were you playing? Totally of mainstream. Play?
7: The most mainstream. Exactly. Um, I hadn't started playing guitar yet and actually he introduced me to Jimi Hendrix which he never lets me um, forget that one (laughs) but uh, and I didn't like it at first I was like whoa it's a bit aggressive or something (laughs) isn't it and then I totally grew to love it and then went full fully down the the white guy playing blues guitar uh, the well-trodden path (laughs) and uh, rock and roll and harder rock and like playing electric guitar stuff and uh, i really was into that for a long time um the other thing i suppose is important to say is that my dad is a singer songwriter and it was also kind of oh i don't want to do that oh no that's kind of like it's kind of corny like he's doing that uh and funnily enough here i am kind of coming full circle fulfilling my father's destiny <laughs> to some degree
0: literally covering his songs. literally
7: covering one of his songs yeah exactly so that's that's another kind of important reference point and that song is just another love song it was the third single and he wrote that before he had even met my mother so it's one of his earliest songs in the like late 60s um i always thought it was about my mother until he corrected me one day <laughs> <laughs> it was actually about a danish woman that uh, i can't what remember her name <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, there's a lot of funny little um little trails of of stories from these songs.
0: So your dad is Dutch. Was he big in the Dutch folk scene of the sixties? He, uh, he big was
7: name? kind of a rambling man, like a bit of a wayfarer himself, wow. and that's how he ended up in Ireland. He was he was like, no, I'm going to forge my own way. Maybe this is the thing that runs in the family. I don't know, but I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to get away from everybody. Um, He was in London for a while. Somehow he ended up in Dublin. He met my mother when they were working in a restaurant somewhere off Nassau Street. And then they married and moved to County Clare. And then I was born in County Clare. Uh, But then they separated and everything went its own way. But um, he... During that point, he got, yeah, he got a one a one album record deal. So his his album was out in, in Sony. It didn't take off, unfortunately, but uh, it's still floating around there. I bought one one of the CDs off Discogs recently. I was oh, like, really? I'm just going to grab one of these while they're still floating around. Was that yeah.
0: when he was living in um, Ireland that it came out? Or? No,
7: he went back to Belgium for a while and then he had the record. So he was like, oh, I got to go back and do this for a bit. And then he was in and out of our lives a little bit, so. So, hence the kind of the complicated uh, relationship with being the singer-songwriter like like my dad. So, anyway, it worked out great. And it's I suppose at this point, it's like I can appreciate the gift that we got from him, you know, rather than being like, oh, you didn't do this or you did this, or you, did, you know. So, uh Maybe is this too much psychology? Did I just jump no, in? No, I'm I'm <laughs>
0: interested in it. Like, uh, is he is he still alive? Is he? Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah,
7: absolutely. He's uh, remarried and he lives in Romania. So uh, still wayfaring, wayfaring, like to the end. Yeah. So, but he's happy out and he's still making music, recording music. He sends us demos of stuff. Uh, oh, what do you think about this? Because my two brothers are are musical as well.
0: So, and have you ever played together, all of you?
7: We have. Um, we did one gig a while ago. It's been a while, actually. It's been a while. It happened. It used to happen more often than it does, unfortunately, now.
0: Yeah. yeah. Just trying to get together.
7: Yeah. We got together, the three of us, to record a video for his uh, 70th birthday. Um, we recorded When I'm 64 because I think we had endeavoured to do that for a 64th birthday, but we never did it. Forgot. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Just took a few years.
0: So were you living in Clare for a long time before you moved to Dublin, or was Uh, it a quick... When I was about
7: five. Yeah. Yeah, five or six, so...
0: So did you play trad or anything? No, not at all. You didn't pick up fiddle or anything down in Clare? Not at all. Not at all. Unfortunately, no.
7: My memories of there are really... We were beside Lower Loch Dirk, and we kind of had this area where we could just run around and be free and there was like trees and we'd go crocodile hunting in the stream and stuff (laughs) and it was just a really like it was quite an idyllic few years and i think my mother was just so like uh concerned and occupied (laughs) with trying to just take care of business that we would be gone for hours the three of us um so i don't know what effect that had on (laughs) us but i think it was a good one
0: that's simpler times, yeah. isn't it? It's just like, see see at dinner time, kids. You know, don't, uh, don't run away.
7: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, there were a few close calls. I did almost drown a few times, but... Um, a few times? Yeah, yeah. Fool me once. We're, <laughs> we were always there together, though, so it was grand. It's like, <laughs> oh, better just pull him out of the water there. Ooh,
0: yeah. Um, so what I have in front of me is, uh, like the list of places that you've lived you say in the press release that you've lived in Brazil, Finland, Mali, USA. I mean, is that just you turn 18 and you're like I'm out of here, I'm out of Dublin?
7: Yeah, I mean, it sounds impressive. Uh but I was always doing some sort of course or some sort of study in those places. I found a way to kind of have a have a reason to be there. Um I'm not one of these people who just like, okay, I'm just going to move to that place. It has to and be not for having, a reason. yeah. I mean, it just turned out that way, and it's a good way to kind of travel because you have something to hold on to, and you have other people doing what you're doing. I suppose. I mean, the most. The I did one big trip in a few years back, and I did two months in Brazil, and then straight to two months in Mali. And there, I didn't really know anyone, so that was the only time I'd ever felt like, "Geez, I really don't know." what I'm doing here so I was there doing field work like a kind of a research project and it was because I was doing a master's in global music in Helsinki so I don't know if that makes sense completely but I was based in Helsinki and they had some funding to do uh, field work so I'd go back and write about what I'd done and write some music based on what I'd done and pretty cool like forward-thinking program so I went to Brazil specifically to kind of learn about some rhythms and then to Mali to learn about the guitar playing. Because that had have been like a long, a long time kind of fascination, uh, like music of Umu Sangare and other Malian artists. It's just like a particular kind of way of playing the guitar that I'd always like listen to and be like, what are they doing? What the hell are they doing? So I was like, it was kind of like a mecca thing for me to go there once and to... Like, I had the phone numbers of various teachers and stuff, but no one there to kind of guide me. So it was a bit of a scary one, but it was, like, also very exciting.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Like, you turn turn up to a place and you're like, right, where's the music? You you have phone numbers and you're just trying to get in touch with people and and stuff like that.
7: Do you ever hear those stories of, like, Japanese people who come over to Ireland and they've learned trad and stuff? And, you know, there's a story of a Japanese guy who's learned Irish, He's learned grelga. And he turns up and he starts speaking Irish and no one understands. (laughs) But I kind of like resonate with those stories. And, you know, like people are looking at me. It was also in Mali. It was like soon after there was some trouble in the north in the desert region. And like it's quite far away from Bamako in the south where I was. So but it was there was like a a red travel warning. So no, there was no tourists, basically no tourism. It was just UNICEF aid workers and business people and um, you and me exactly so people are looking at me they're like oh you, you are you a, like a gold trader from france or something i was like no but then as soon as you'd be like oh i'm here to to learn about the music and you dr- drop one or two local names and they'd be like ah oh, like a warm smile and then suddenly you'd, you'd have access to a, a place that you wouldn't it'd be impossible to get that access so i was given this level of access because of the music um so basically like i'd call someone with my leave insert french and be like i'm here i heard you're an amazing the greatest guitar player in this <laughs> <laughs> in this region uh, and then be like yes 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 i am uh here's my address and i get in a taxi I'm like fingers crossed turn up uh and then it, they'd be like oh it's an hour and it's this price I'd be like okay cool and then five hours later you would be there <laughs> eating with the family and stuff uh so like it pretty much went at the first day i think i scheduled three lessons in one day and then very quickly i was like okay it's gonna have to be one event per day here because uh, everything's kind of a bit moving at a different pace and uh, things can be stretched and extended and yeah
0: was everybody generous with their information and their sharing yeah offered? really Was anybody skeptical or anything about what you were doing
7: no no actually no not at all maybe one guy who was kind of like considered the big potato uh but it was funny i was brought to him and i was I, i was like i'm not that interested in actually what that guy's doing it was often more the people who weren't who didn't have like big names that were the best teachers and were the most interested to impart the information and to kind of give me a little history lesson and stuff yeah i was constantly uh trying to juggle egos a little bit as well. And like there was one guy who was like, I'll oh, just get on my motorbike. I'm gonna bring you around to my two wives and show you my first wife and my second wife and all that stuff. And then at the end he was like, I need more money because I have two wives. I was like, dude, I <laughs> I'm in too deep here. I just want to know, get a few guitar licks and but yeah, there were all sorts of characters. And then there was often a kind of a thing like, oh remember that I'm the one who showed you this this little bit of guitar information but they wanted you know? kind of the head nod yeah it was more thing. about the recognition and stuff and then some of them had been to Europe some of them had been to a lot of would play in France regularly enough some had been to America to do kind of clinics and stuff and like world music that whole kind of network so yeah pretty fascinating pretty fascinating time
0: and what about Brazil? What was what was that like? Where where were you in Brazil? Was it just Rio around the cities? Or? No,
7: it was more in Salvador, actually, in the north of Brazil. So my part... An- Amazon area, isn't it? Not exactly. It's all... Everyone's on the east coast of, of Brazil. So the more west you go, the more you go into the Amazon. Oh, okay. But no one really lives there, you know? Unless you go all the way up to Manaus or Belém, where some of the World Cup uh, games were five years ago, whatever. Um... But it's kind of hard to live there and it's super damp. And yeah, and there's like it's been up there for a few days and I just like I have to get out here. (laughs) I couldn't actually. So uh, humid. But uh, no, my favorite place in Brazil is Salvador. So Salvador is in the north of Brazil and it's the most kind of African colony isn't really the right word, but like it's the place where all the Africans go to in brazil first and historically it's been that way for like 200 years so uh, it also has like a long checkered kind of past with the slave trade um so it's kind of there's a lot going on there and it's a very different place to rio or to sao paulo which brazil does a great job of marketing itself as rio you know mm. and often if we think about rio and like so the, even the first time i'd been I went to Brazil, the first place I landed was in Salvador. And like, I'm pretty much the only white guy there. And I'm like, this isn't how I imagined Brazil, (laughs) even though it's kind of like, okay, it's going to be very different. Uh, So there's all different flavors, different things going on in Brazil. But Salvador is like this one concentrated, very strong, kind of very proud of itself place as well and it knows it has the best food the best music uh, the best characters uh, yeah it's a, i think of it kind of like cork in that way <laughs> it's a little too self-aware sometimes but like <laughs> it's it's really it's really class like everything going on there is it's thick like you know
0: <laughs> that's fun for the cork listeners so yeah
7: like. they have a, so they have an expression in Salvador um, dendê so dendê is like is actually the palm oil um, so a lot of the food there has this kind of African influence with palm oil and I don't know if you've had palm oil it's quite thick it's quite like strong it can be kind of strong in your stomach the first time you eat it but it gives it a certain kind of dark flavour and uh, but it's used as an expression in North Brazil it's like it has it has dende dende is kind of like the life force the life you know kind of a certain spirit that you wouldn't get in Sao Paulo or in, in other cities so uh I don't know if that makes sense.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it does. Um, yeah. and, and so you're traveling around to so, Brazil, yeah. to Mali, while you're a student at the University of Helsinki. Yeah,
7: exactly, exactly. So that whole trip prefaced all of these songs to get back to the album. And when I first came back from doing that course and doing that trip, I was very much like, here's a song from Brazil, here's a song from Africa, here's a song from Tanzania.
0: What kind of year are we talking? Like 10 Uh, years ago? That
7: was 2017, 2018. Oh, okay, so five. So like, yeah, exactly. So 2018, I remember I was playing in Hotter Than July, a uh, global world music festival. And I was doing like, here's my kind of uh, set of songs from around the world. And it made sense at the time. And then the longer I was here in... Back in Dublin, uh, doing my stuff, it, that kind of faded away in a sense. It felt less legitimate in a certain way to be playing those songs from around
0: the world. Is it kind of like when you were getting into Jimi Hendrix and learning those songs, <laughs> you were very much aware that it was like white guy playing the blues and stuff? Well, and yeah, then you were like yeah white, well, you white said guy exactly, playing exactly music
7: and like I was fully in and I had my clothes that I'd gotten from a tailor in Bamako and I had my whole garb and everything and I was really feeling it and it made sense like that music was kind of speaking through me to say it like that didn't feel like oh here's me this is it's just that like I want to share this music anyway as time went on and I was writing more of my own songs again and then obviously 2020 and like the whole global kind of sense of like ownership and a sense of like privilege and everything that just like was like, okay now this definitely doesn't feel right anymore so but that was also well, why not
0: why well i what was kind of the the realization was there one realization for you
7: it was more a sense that like ah uh, this is something yeah this is something that i've experienced but my dad's also a folk singer i've also gone through all these other iterations it in my music I guess it was about finding a a balance of the different experiences that I've had. Yeah. Yeah, it was a confusing time because myself and my partner, who is is from uh, Salvador in Brazil, uh, we'd just been to Salvador in January and February of 2020. So we were arriving back in like March 4th. People wearing masks and stuff and we're like, okay, something's happening here. But we had just done... Uh, a couple we've just had we had just had quite a few intense experiences one of them being kind of this um tribal ayahuasca ceremony that we did together and doing that I know it's kind of cliche to be like I just saw I saw <laughs> the light but I, we did that and like for me that had a very strong effect that like okay I actually I can't explain exactly what it is but I know I need to find a new way of putting everything together in my own music and I suppose that's what we're looking at now with Wayfair. <laughs> wow, so it <laughs> so, started yeah. with an ayahuasca Yeah, kind of. I mean, journey. in a sense, that was just kind of formalizing my thoughts, in, in a way, about myself. And it was, it was as much kind of accepting wh- like who, who I am, where I come from, and you know that, I, that my family is mixed, that I've never totally felt at home in one place, that I've always been happy to move around, uh, and the positives and negatives from that. so
0: i guess then lockdown happens and you can't go anywhere you can't like get out of the house almost so then you're exactly thinking about it all yeah
7: so in a way it wasn't it wasn't the worst time for that to happen in terms of my own musical process but it was very intense and uh, it was just like making stuff making stuff making stuff making stuff in my own head yeah it was it was a bit of a mad time (laughs) i think for everybody but like for me it was Yeah. It was like making loads of songs. I'm like, okay, that feels right. That feels right. That feels right. And trying to just go back to a gut kind of feeling about it. And if I still like listen to it a week later, two weeks later, it was like, okay, cool. That'll be in the pool. So yeah. yeah. And then we ended up recording it last year during one of those weird times where we had to get like letters to. Leave our houses mm. and stuff.
0: So. Um, and you change your name as well. you were going under a different, uh, name as an artist, and then that just sounds like okay. This is the reset that I need exactly.
7: So that was another. That was the front facing part of it. It's like okay, I used to go as Page, and that was as much kind of uh, a front facing kind of thing. Where it's like okay, here's. It's hard to kind of explain, but Patrick Stefan is literally my name. So I was like, effect that. I'm just going to use my name. And I'm going slightly back to basics, playing a bit more acoustic guitar, less layers, less stuff going on. More and stripped back. Yeah, exactly. More personal. And just allowing allowing that to be what it is. Um, and also allowing it just to be like not trying to satisfy everything, do you know? Like not trying to be all things at once. And it's just like, okay, that's what it is. If people don't like it, then grant <laughs> you know yeah so like which is kind of a fundamental it should be really the first stage of making things it should be the first thing that they teach you in any sort of course it's like don't be afraid for people not to like your stuff but it's uh it's funny it's funny how it kind of creeps up on you when you're releasing music and putting anything into the world i suppose you're like i hope everybody likes it and but then like as soon as you're like nah it's grand it is what it is.
0: You kind of forget about it. You know, you kind of put that out of your head.
7: A little bit, yeah. Yeah. But then funnily enough, people tend to like it more when you do that, so.
0: Yeah, you just <laughs> never know what's going to hit. Yeah. You know, you can try so hard and think like, I've made the per- best song and it's just, how is it going to hit? And then suddenly, you know you, don't mm. know, you don't know why it does or where it will.
7: Yeah. But it's like, if you're trying to be a friend to everybody, you're a friend to another kind of thing. Um, And then everyone's like, oh yeah kind of Interesting, yeah, it's kind of cool, but then when you're actually like, No, I'm trying to say something here, other people are like, Nah, but they won't tell you anyway. But then the people who like it, they're like, I really get what you're saying, you know, it's like a new level of connection with fans and with people, and yeah,
0: yeah, um, it's interesting just talking and thinking about you know, artists changing names. Like, I was talking to Gilliband uh, a week or two ago, who used to go under Girl Band, they changed. For kind of obvious reasons I think they were very aware That like Their band wasn't uh, Or their name wasn't You know uh, The best name to be going under And Mm -hmm. you know It took them a while to realise And everything So they were kind of Happy to change to Gilliband
7: Some of these Some of these songs uh, Were written and developed while listening to them playing downstairs because we were in the same <laughs> rehearsal oh, space really? yeah in the city <laughs> not center much of
0: a, there's not much of a band influence on the album is there no
7: not really i wouldn't say so maybe Considering how yeah. loud
0: they are They're, they don't come up through the ceiling on any of the songs no
7: no uh well it's funny you say that because they used to rehearse every night in the same i think it was a tuesday evening and the whole place would just clear out <laughs> because <laughs> like the whole building is just vibrating and uh
0: you're kind of like okay, cool. It's Gillaband, a girl band at the time, rehearsing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, just so loud. Let's clear out. Yeah, um, but Conor, Conor O'Brien as well, who performs under Villagers. You know, his first album is becoming a jackal, and it took him a while to kind of real, you know, kind of to become that mm. jackal and to become the confident solo singer songwriter that he can be whenever he wants. You know, he's doing like solo acoustic shows now as well. So, like, uh, you as Patrick Stefan, do you feel? like more of a pressure or anything with your name actually being you know on the on the marquee so to speak
7: no really, it really feels great yeah <laughs> i love it actually yeah yeah, it, it feels was, more it authentic feels more me so i um i actually i'm starting to take a lot of inspiration actually from connor i went to see him and his band uh play in the ivy gardens over the summer and it was just like every well first of all like everyone i knew was at it and it's just like there's something really interesting happening here and But it was like a special, a very special performance and really special kind of energy around the band and the set. And just this balance of kind of intimacy and vulnerability and then kind of rocking out sometimes. It's just like, ah, oh, this is such a great mix. You're really kind of bringing us on a journey and then putting us in a good place here as well. And like delivering a message in a kind of a subtle way as well. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, I guess, I guess it's just you put in the, like... 10 years or more of work and then you're just more confident and that's what i was getting at with you as well like does this album feel like the culmination of all of those little bits and pieces that you've picked up along the way
7: exactly exactly
0: um
7: and the artwork is actually done by the same for this album is done by the same person who did the artwork for the last villagers album Funnily enough <laughs> oh right, great yeah. the one with the bear on the cover yeah exactly oh, right, exactly boss. yeah i saw it. it was just kind of chancing my arm I was like would you would you
0: <laughs> do something for me as well um keeping he, that animal um aesthetic as well, well i just love the, the, the fact water.
7: that he he did it he hand drew all those characters and the theme for so for my album is wayfarer is about traveling um at the time last year when i was putting it all together i got really into moby dick um and I've been trying to read the book for years and I could never finish it. And I was doing, I was playing with the band in Germany, doing a five week tour in the back of a uh, cramped smelly bus. And I finally listened to the audiobook of it. And I was like, this is such a good story. Got really into it and ended up watching the different various movies, different versions of it. And Jaws uh, as well. Jaws as well. It's just that the, so let me explain the whale thing is that we found out that my, father's ancestors were in the 16, but 1600s, 1600, 1650, they were whalers. So uh, that's where our name comes from. My last name is Groenland in Dutch, which means Greenland, like the country. Uh, but actually it refers to gr- the Greenland whale, which was the most common whale that people were catching and using their blubber and using their oil to power the industrial revolution yada yada but uh so that's where the whale connection comes from so after my dad only found that out like five years ago so when we found that out we we're like this kind of makes sense why our whole dutch family is like spread it all over the world there's some kind of wandering wayfaring gene in there somewhere so it, it kind of made us all feel like oh okay that's just our vibe we just like to do that
0: Moby Dick, I read it in college. I, I, I kind of hated it, but I didn't really enjoy yeah. English in college. But you, you kind of, like, persevered through the book and then switched I to go the go with the audiobook. Yeah.
7: <laughs> like, I found out that uh, some of the, it's so detailed, like, and it just takes all these left turns, the book does, and at various points, like, just described in extreme detail how, like, ro- ropes were knotted and all, the, like, so much so that it was used as a whaling manual. Like, it's a work of fiction, but it was used as a whaling manual for for whalers in the 1700s and stuff. Uh, but just the story is great, that the idea of the whale with, like, this lurking whale, this beast, and, like, the ambition of Captain Ahab, who's like, no, I must do this at all costs. And then the protagonist, um, Ishmael, who's kind of cur- curious, and then his curiosity just leads him into this situation, which I was kind of like connecting with a lot like I was like there's something out there for me but I don't know where it is what it is so there's a lot of cool themes going on so that's why there's a uh, a white whale tail uh, and, and a boat on the cover of the album which uh, Paul the amazing graphic designer who did the villager stuff he was like cool I love whales I love nautical stuff <laughs>
0: Yeah. Great. Um, you have two songs, kind of n- on the second half of the album, changes for Ishmael and Whale Song for Ahab. Are they direct responses to the book? Or they, exactly? Yeah.
7: yeah, yeah. They were kind of. Uh, they. I was writing those songs, and they took on those names later on. I, exactly as I was saying, just as I was kind of reflecting some of the ideas, like what am I actually singing about? Because sometimes songs come out, and you are like, they're kind of about a feeling. But I haven't quite like put it in a box yet, put a bow on it. Uh, so that was that was a really nice theme to tie them all together. So like changes was written in when I was in Mali and I was sick as a dog. I couldn't eat for a week. And Food poisoning or something? yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly, classic. And uh, and I was just like, what is happening? Something is changing in me. Something's going on.
0: What's your relationship with your the Dutch? side of things do you like are you able to speak the language do you go back there often to the netherlands
7: unfortunately not no um i still understand it quite a bit um but we haven't been back there for a while um my dutch family <coughs> me, lived through the second world war as uh, or my grandparents and I. Th- i think i was talking to someone recently who's also irish dutch and they were saying yeah, my fam, my Dutch family are just—they don't talk to each other. They're all over the place. They've, they're so I, I, don't know if it's as much a wayfaring thing or like that generational thing. Some of them, like my grandparents, wanted all their kids to have uh, solid jobs and be, like we've okay, we've been through this awful experience. We just want you all to be doctors, be like get get good jobs and like rebuild and everything. And then so like my dad was a. Uh, a hippie, a long-haired hippie. He, uh, he dodged the draft. (laughs) He's got a good story about uh, getting stoned before going in to his, uh, his assessment. (laughs) So, he he was, he was, he he would have been no use on the battlefield. Not that the, the the Dutch soldiers ever went out in battle, but like, uh, yeah, it was just like a strong culture clash. There wasn't really that freedom in Dutch society at the time. Um, even though we think of Dutch society as very kind of like open and uh, it's quite conservative, actually, like historically. Yeah, it sounds like it's kind of gotten stark, more conservative
0: as well in the past well, few there's, years. Yeah,
7: exactly. There's another aspect of that showing up in, in, in other ways. But yeah, historically, sometimes we forget that Europe can be quite like, it is really stuck in, stuck in its ways, do you know? Mm. Too old and cold and stuck in his ways. as yeah, Johnny said. Yeah, it's getting cold as well. Um,
0: <laughs> are, you, are you happy in Dublin at the moment? Do you do you kind of have itchy fingers to go traveling? or uh,
7: A little bit, a little bit, yeah. We'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> We're just being squeezed out a little bit. I, I think like a lot of people feeling that squeeze. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Would love to be able to
0: stay. Do you still enjoy the kind of um, the fact there are so many artists and gigs around in Dublin though do you find it like a quite a creative place I mean like even Mm. being in the same uh, rehearsal space as Gilliband
7: 100% uh, that's really important actually that kind of solidarity between musicians I think just because it can be such a solo path can be a bit lonely sometimes so it's really important to to be around people who are doing what you're doing. So like I play bass with my friend Rob De Boer, also a half Irish Dutch person. I play guitar with uh, Abbey Coulibaly sometimes and Manjola sometimes. Uh, so I still do these kind of, I like to be the instrumentalist in other people's bands as much as a job just for like the fun of it. Cause <laughs> I still love just playing music with various people and that feeling of collaboration. Uh, it's mainly, it's possibly the only thing that's a little bit, yeah, I mean, when you go solo, you lose something, you obviously gain a lot, and you're, like, pursuing your artistic vision, but uh, you also kind of lose that feeling of, like, oh, we're in a band together, oh, we're doing this thing together, so.
0: So you're happy playing in other people's bands for the con- the camaraderie of I do else? I
7: hope to be able to continue it, yeah, yeah, yeah. without compromising anything, or, yeah.
0: Uh, we've touched on a couple of songs on the album. Just another couple before we finish up that I want to ask you about. Uh, Half Moon Swimming Club is the fourth track, yeah. I think, on the album. What's, <laughs> what's glad that talking about? You've read that.
7: So Half Moon Swimming Club is, I can almost see, I can see it right here, actually, looking out your window. It is at the end of the pier, the North Pier by the Bull. No, I was West getting pier? confused by these places. West Pier in Dunnare, uh, Past Poolbeg, Past oh, Poolbeg okay, Tower. Okay. So right in the center of Dublin City Bay and there's a place at the very end of the pier just before the lighthouse uh, mm. that's called the Half Moon Swimming Club.
0: It looks like a slightly difficult place to go swimming. Is it? Is it, is it a nice place to you go have swimming? To,
7: well, it's, yeah, you gotta, it's not as easy as here. Uh, like, uh, where are we now again? We're in uh, uh, Monkstown. <laughs> we're in <Monkstown. laughs> It's not point. as easy as here. You're gonna have to work a little bit more for your swim and it's a bit more choppy but it's worth it. So you go out and you, as when you turn around you're like looking at the whole Dublin Bay and, uh, you're kind of not in Dublin anymore, which is a cool feeling uh, when you're always in Dublin <laughs> city centre like I am. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's a special place. It has a couple of memories for me. Um, and I was talking to someone else, a uh, drummer friend, and we started going for swims out there. And he was like, yeah, a couple of weird things have happened to me out there. Uh, so I conclu- concluded there's some sort of witch-like energy going on there.
0: What do you mean weird things happened? Like, Well, like he's... I like don't know, bad, it's just a feeling. things in the water? Or?
7: No, not necessarily that. Just kind of moments that you are very self-aware of your life and mortality and stuff. Or at least that's how I interpreted it. He was talking about a time when the mist came down and he couldn't really see anything. And he was just very aware. Maybe it's just a sense of getting out of the city and suddenly being a little bit more vulnerable, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, it's it's a great little swimming spot. And... As I said, you have to kind of wind around a little bit to get to it. Um so I'd recommend it. You'll catch me and, and Jay out there any these days.
0: <laughs> uh are you a winter swimmer? I know that you said that you're in at the I'm gonna weekend. try. I'm gonna try.
7: Yeah. I, I think I might have to get a wetsuit. Uh there's no shame in that really, is there?
0: Uh I don't think so. Like a full one? I've I've heard if you get the the kind of the wetsuit shorts, they're okay. quite good. And okay. the boots.
7: We'll start with that, so. Yeah. The boots, really. Y-
0: yeah, you can. Actually, get... that's true, because your yeah, toes yeah. do they get cold. actually They're really quickly. good. I'd recommend. Yeah. I, uh, I only learned to swim, like, recently, last year. Um, so I've kind of been figuring out, like, the freezing cold water. I did it, like, once or twice last year. So we'll see if I can. Well, maybe we'll rendezvous in, like, March or April. Let's work we'll on it, like, yeah. How'd you get on? Did you manage <laughs> to get in every week?
7: Well, I just went for a quick dip before talking to you now and it was kind of warm actually i was like am i just getting used to this or is it warm maybe a little bit of both
0: yeah like it it kind of becomes its own cult as well doesn't it like you can see why people do it like all year round
7: yeah yeah i'm sad i didn't get into it during lockdown i mean i wasn't that close to the probably
0: could have sure what's 5k no one (laughs) was really checking but
7: yeah let's do it let's do it <laughs>
0: <laughs> um i think that that's kind of one of the best things about dublin is that like you're a dart right away from you know various swim spots and beaches you know like i'm from yeah. cork and to get to a beach from cork city you know you, you kind of have to have a car i think really probably you know? yeah. i mean it's one of the best things about living in dublin for mm. like young and old and everyone alike.
7: well this is part of it's only the last few weeks i started swimming Again and see, and it's part of that feeling of like, "Ah oh, okay, we're being squeezed out a little bit it's it's things are getting a bit hard in certain ways. What can we do to kind of like regulate ourselves to actually make things better for ourselves? Or are we just gonna sit around and complain blago like, oh, Dublin are actually like okay, actively push to to kind of find some of its some of the good things and make space for that, you know,
0: yeah. That, that's one of the hardest things to do, isn't it? It's so easy to complain, particularly online or something, you know, you can mm. just like send out a tweet, like giving out about everything. But actually doing something positive is the is the hard thing to do, but it's the more rewarding thing as well. In fact, yeah,
7: I just find it very hard to swim without someone else being there. I've realized that about myself. I do need that other person to be like, even yourself today. Hey, I went for a swim. <laughs> but yeah, swim partners, I think, are
0: crucial. Okay, okay. Yeah, don't don't be getting into the choppy sea uh, nah, alone, nah, folks. Nah, nah. Uh, drinking in the Moonlight, Drinking Alone in the Moonlight is an interesting song. And this is another one that kind of dips into art, like you going back and um on uh, Sally Gardens and figuring out that song that was a poem and like delving into your dad's old music as well. This is taken from an 8th century poem by Lee Bai. How did you find the poem and how did you know that you wanted to work that into a song?
7: Okay, so it was around the time when I was in Finland actually and I was like, I was trying to develop my own kind of relationship with lyrics. Um, I think I was feeling frustrated with things that I was writing, they sounded a little bit too poppy, they're coming out all kind of poppy and I was like, it's not really me. Like many before me, I turned to poetry to try and maybe kind of obscure the obvious rhythms and the obvious kind of just the yeah go for kind of slightly obscure things uh, and but the funny thing is about this poem is that it turns out it's not that obscure i thought it was really obscure and i was like look at me eight century poem and then <laughs> as soon as i put it out people are like oh yes yes we know that one um it's one of his better known poems actually uh so Li Bai was a State like a state poet i suppose so he was paid by the dynasty at the time to go out and experience things and then write poetry about it so um which at the time probably had quite an important role in a way if you think about it like i don't think they were writing things i think it was all still oral history or orally transmitted i suppose so like, so the funny thing about it is he he writes a lot of poetry about being drunk and being alone and stuff. Uh, but it wouldn't have been frowned upon. It was kind of like, oh, Tool, tell us what it's like to be drunk and alone in the moonlight. <laughs> so that's what this one's about. And uh, he talks a lot about, he talks a bit about like his shadow self and being comfortable with being even wanting other people to be there, but then finding comfort in his own company and realizing that there's more than one person there. Either it's the moon, either it's the drink, the wine cup, or his shadow. So it's kind of a cool, it's kind of like a bit throwaway, but then at the same time, it's like it's saying something pretty deep as well behind it. And uh, I just love the idea of the shadow self. And that's only something that we've been talking about in, Europe for the past I don't know 200 years or something Uh, so and this is like thousand years before (laughs) which is kind of mind-blowing so yeah that resonated straight away with me and I was like okay let's see if I can put it to music and it kind of just took on this life of its own Uh, the freedom of allowing it not to be my own words I suppose allowed me to just get into this flow and then the song came out and kind of quite formed actually in a way the only thing i did was just repeat a few lines because the main difference with i suppose with poetry and and music lyrics is that music lyrics are repeated often quite a lot so yeah <laughs> so just take a poem and repeat a few lines and there you have it <laughs> yeah um
0: so does this feel like the culmination like we said earlier this feels like the culmination of like the past 10 or 15 years that you've been on this album does this feel like ah i've, I've done it now this is yeah, what i totally. wanted all along
7: absolutely absolutely and um, part of the reason i stopped being page was kind of to stop feeling like i needed to entertain people and to kind of indulge myself in my own kind of i am a soft-spoken kind of sometimes introverted sensitive person and it's like yeah that's what the music's gonna that's what the music's gonna communicate like. Uh and also during lockdown it was just a lot of therapeutic listening. There was like a lot of Sufjan. there was a lot of uh, Bonnie Ver, James Blake, uh and I was like, Yeah, those kind of they're they're kinda paving the way for something there to happen, you know? Um so it really does feel yeah, it really does feel like a lot of me in this one. In this one creation and i'm super excited actually already about the next stage <laughs> yeah <laughs> about like yeah even because even as time goes on these things kind of cultivate within ourselves in our subconscious and come out in in ways like those little easter egg things the next iteration of that you're not even able to pick them apart they're just part of you you know
0: so have you been writing new music absolutely as well yeah oh yeah and does it sound along similar lines or can you feel like this is like the next step up or it's definitely, it's definitely got threads.
7: It's not going to sound too dissimilar from that, I'd say.
0: Great. Yeah. Cool. Well, I mean, th- we'll we'll get through this album first before yeah. we think about the next <laughs> stuff. Uh, do you have any gigs or anything coming up? Or
7: uh, We decided to wait until February for the big, the big um, reveal show. Yeah. The big full band thing. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: Just in case there's like another lockdown or something like that. <laughs> yeah. That, oh, oh God, I never thought about that. Yeah, we shouldn't joke. We <laughs> shouldn't joke about that. Please God, no. Oh
7: God. Uh, it was more just a kind of a tactical reason there's just so much going on and I think yeah. we're still working through the backlog of the last two years mm. this year Um so I want to be the first show of the new year that everybody <laughs> wants to come along to yeah,
0: yeah. cool well if uh, if we'll bide our time until February and look forward to uh, seeing you then but congratulations on the album well done on on achieving it
7: thank you so much thanks so much for having me here
6: These drowsy winds they blow The leaves are murmuring These drowsy winds they blow A stranger starts to sing These greedy eyes won't talk These eyes are mounting up. My shadow here on earth, my substance. Body, the least of my being. Only in this desert is love speechless. I'm changing, I'm changing now Oh yes, I'm changing, I'm changing now You see I'm changing, I'm changing now Will you take me as I am Hold wounds may bleed afresh The prayers of all night screaming
0: That's Changes for Ishmael of Patrick Steffen's debut album Wayfair available to stream wherever you do that sort of thing and you can buy it at patricksteffen.bankamp.com looking forward to February and those shows already and now we finish with our weekly new music section new songs in full with introductions by the acts themselves that's pretty easy to follow I think three this week Banrian with Fooling and Flow with All Nighter and Barefoot Gypsies are last with Be Free. Those latter two acts are from Cork, by the way. Just thought I'd point that out. Banrian are from Dublin. Good to have some new Cork music on the show every now and again, I think. We'll play them all through with the introductions from the acts in between, and I'll talk to you again on the other side. Hello,
3: this is Roshan from Banrian. I'm gonna be just having a little chat about our new single "Fooling," and um, which comes out on September twenty eighth, a Wednesday. This is our first, the first song of our new EP uh, called "Dare to Crush," and it's the first full band project that we put out since our first EP, which was "Airport Dads" in twenty twenty. So, yeah, a lot has changed since then. I think our sound has definitely developed. Still very much DIY, but maybe with a bit more of a professional tint on it. <laughs> I've learned a few more chords since since 2020 anyway. So the song, it's one of our favourite songs to play live. It's got a really kind of fun swing to it or like a nice pace, which makes it maybe a bit of a bop. But also it's, <laughs> it's pretty sad, <laughs> uh, which is kind of our brand. I wrote the song when my mom told me that she'd been diagnosed with cancer that day. Like, it just, it all came out of me at once. Which is usually a kind of, like, important way of of how I process things that happen to me. towards other people that I love. I find songwriting is really kind of cathartic for dealing with stuff. But basically, the song is about how I deal with stuff and maybe being critical of how I'm always fooling around in situations where like it, it it might be the most helpful but it definitely it lightens the mood sometimes but then it doesn't help you process anything but yeah that's essentially what it's about we had a lot of fun recording it we recorded, recorded it in Meadow Lodge which is our first time in a studio and we had such a ball with them um, re um it was mixed by chris barry and then it was mastered by morgan bosang and yeah we would love you all to have a little listen come see it at a show we're playing ireland music week next week on the 7th of october in the grand social it's gonna be a great crack it's gonna be a great week for some amazing artists that's it thanks for listening bye bye
8: Together, myself and James had been sort of friends since childhood. We went to school together, in college together, and um, during college we were sort of working this job, kind of promotional gig, like handing out free cider around the country. So we're kind of like driving around, giving out these free samples, uh, slacking off a lot, and sort of drinking a lot of the cider ourselves on the weekend things. So yeah, uh, no big surprise, we lost the job kind of overnight and. We're both musicians and have been since we were kind of children and just in different bands and stuff and in different projects. We were kind of scratching our heads, thinking, you know, how are we going to make um, some money? So, you know, we had all this kind of music that we, we both loved in common, like a lot of kind of psych rock and funk and jazz and stuff. And we just decided that we'd start playing that in the streets in Cork, busking. James on bass and me on, on drums with a like a, a suitcase for a bass drum which worked actually really well and yeah we came up with a lot of kind of music ourselves it just clicked there was a lot of um yeah it just worked I uh, had that chemistry and so we both kind of love spending time in the studio always have as well so we just kind of decided that we try to take some of the jams that we had we had done and maybe try to flesh them out a bit in the studio and see what they would sound like recorded so we did and that's kind of how the band came about all Nighter was um, a little bit of an outlier and the first of its kind in the, in the sense that I dropped out of college at the time sort of uh, and I was just like to pursue music yeah I was just kind of sitting on the couch one day kind of feeling like a, you know I had no job no course kind of feeling like I had no prospects kind of thing just had this little voice note recorded of it me just singing and playing it on acoustic guitar and I recorded a little demo and kind of brought it to James and he liked it um, and so, yeah, we fleshed out and recorded all the instruments in James's place, um, including the vocals with, like, you know, two mattresses against the wall and, like, a duvet over the top to, to kind of cut any echo out of the room or whatever. Um, yeah, doing it the best way we knew, we knew yeah. how. And I, I went up and recorded the drums in Astakalapa. Um, it was Darren Nolan um, in Gori And, yeah, that was cool. And it I went well. It's a nice setup there and he's you know great guy as well and 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 we're sort of messing around with the mix ourselves for sort a of good while and driving ourselves a bit mad and in the end we we, we asked christian best to help us out with it who mixed and mastered it in the end and yeah it got us to a place that we really really happy with it so yeah hope you enjoy it cheers
2: bobby here from barefoot gypsies
9: hey what's the crack <laughs> sorry we're super giddy yeah <laughs> also get... not sorry at all
2: <laughs> we got luke here as well i'm luke <laughs> hope you guys are well thanks so much owen for having us on um, and yeah. hope you guys enjoyed the track
9: and uh, as mentioned we're barefoot gypsies and that's both our band name and us as people in a sense yeah we like to mix the whole performance and living as a person thing together and so a lot of our music is carrying like our ethos and way of living Mm. it's a lot about like community living like paying attention to each other and just Mm. allowing each other to be weird and wacky and free and fun and Mm. yeah trying to get away from a lot of the societal stuff that we're you know pushed towards yeah and, for sure you know, yeah
2: living free spirited and yeah. uh, connecting with ourselves and nature and each other is a super important part of our lives individually and we love to share that with you guys Getting with our music oh yes go spend yeah. some time, time in Rivers. nature is so important
9: listening to the birds and singing mm. with them
2: yeah, that's uh, where we get a lot of inspiration from. That's where Luke, I know, who writes yeah. all the music. Uh, that's where you get a lot of inspiration from, isn't it? It's just nature and
9: I do. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sure you also can hear from hear people the songs. and lovely people like you, I'm sure. Coming up, we have Lulu Gra this weekend. If you want to come hear us, or maybe you're coming already, and we're gonna come meet you and got uh, another single coming out soon as well so keep an ear out ear to the ground
2: if you want to keep up to date on what we're doing you can follow us on instagram that's where we kind of post about what's coming up so it's barefoot.gypsies.official and uh, yeah we'd love to we love to connect with you guys there feel free to send us a message or send us a little video of you jamming out to the song we would love that we love to see you guys enjoying it and thank you guys so much for the support we love you so much
9: And also, if you guys want to hear us play in a place near you, like, let us know because we're, like, super happy to play all over the place. Mm -hmm. Like, we did a tour last year uh, just, like, in people's back gardens and sheds and farms and stuff, and that was so much fun. And Mm -hmm. also, like, nice venues near you. Just hit us up. Yeah, let us know your recommendations. We'd love to hear from you guys. Cheers. Bye.
0: again to banrian and flow and barefoot gypsies for sending on those introductions letting me play those tracks in full if you like what you heard you can go support the artists in any way you can on social media buy their music go see them at a gig if you want to send me songs or feedback or just get in contact you can email me at the at gmail.com get me on twitter at tpoe blog Stripey Jumper on Instagram too just FYI doesn't quite follow with the brand but look that's the name that I picked many years ago and I'm sticking to it. Thanks as always for listening. Hopefully you found some new music to savour from this show. We'll be back next Wednesday morning so until then.